to match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat children. We back. Another episode of the motherfucking Tough Talk podcast. Uh, I've lost count of how many episodes we're at at this point. Um, I probably should have kept track of that, but if you haven't noticed, I'm not a very, uh, I'm not a very factual, detailed kind of person. You know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's really isn't my thing. You know. When if I don't cross a T, you you know that's not a damn L. That's that's clearly a T. Come on, man. Don't do me like that. Uh, anyway, on this episode, uh, I am joined later by my co-host, Ibrahim Khalif. And a very funny comedian, Jared Waters. Uh, Jared is originally, I guess we would say, from Tampa. But he lives in New York City now. Uh, enjoy the comedic stylings of Jared Waters and uh, obviously Ibrahim. Y'all know what he brings. Uh, <laughs> the three of us had a good conversation about, you know, just comedy in general, comedy post pandemic and uh, the whole cancel culture conundrum controversy thing, right? So, yeah. Just a couple comedians jamming. Uh, Jared gives us a couple of good fight stories. He gives us... uh, (laughs) He fights in some interesting locations, to say the least. And I won't spoil it for you, but, you know, per usual, we're doing the intro here. So I'll give you 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of my raw, unfiltered uninterrupted opinions and then you can skip forward if what you enjoy is you know the comedians and the fight stories sometimes we have them sometimes we don't which i i guess i thought i guess i should explain that i guess i thought having comedians do fight stories would be easy because but then the the more i do these episodes the more i realize a lot of comedians are completely non-confrontational people. And I don't know throughout my life, maybe there's a reason, maybe that, that that's the uh, whole therapist thing that I need to explore. It's maybe why am I okay with confrontation and most of the comedians that I talk to, which obviously I guess as in anything, race matters. Not to be a ton of Hesse Coates or whatever the hell. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Race Matters. I, I, who wrote that book? Was it Tana Hesse Coates? I'm trying to act like I know books. Anyway, Tana Hesse Coates, maybe Race Matters might be the other guy, Michael Eric Dyson, that can't go two sentences without quoting a rapper. My mother is a fan of Michael Eric Dyson. Uh that's a random fact that I threw in there. But yeah, she likes him. Pseudo intellectuals. Let me not say pseudo. He's an intellectual. But anyway, where the hell was I? But yeah, maybe that's something I need to figure out. But yeah, a lot of comedians, I guess race matters in terms of a lot of the black comedians are like, oh, fights? Hell yeah. Which one you want to know about? <laughs> and then the white comedians are like, fight? Mm, a third grader. Guy pushed me up against the locker and my dad sued him. (laughs) 
Your dad sued him. You had a lawyer in third grade. What the hell? But yeah, so, you know, sometimes I know you guys listen and go, where the hell's the fight story? Anyway, it's actually my birthday as I record this intro. I would have recorded it yesterday, but I was kind of on the move. But, uh, yeah, it's my birthday. It's fucking June 22nd. Um, so I'm happy, uh, for that. What should I say? 35, I'm 30 fucking five years old. Uh, what should I say for that? I'm in Miami, actually. So that was the go part of me not being able to record this intro and get the episode out for you guys yesterday. But uh, what the hell? I don't know. It's been a while since I've been to the South, you know, spent some time in Georgia as a kid, Valdosta, Georgia, to be specific. And that is an hour from Florida. So it's far enough away that you don't catch the beach culture here. So I'm on South Beach and man, everybody's naked. Like the people working in the hotel to the mailman. Like it's hot as fuck. So I guess it makes sense, you know, swimsuits and whatnot. I'm not used to people being naked. (laughs) There's this idea that it's not sexual, I guess, you know. When you go to very hot places, it's, it's not supposed to be sexual, but you still have the same eyes that you have in New York where it's like, oh, I wonder what she looks like in her panties. But <laughs> you come here to South Florida and it's, you know, there's nothing to the imagination. She's she's in her bikini, bro. Maybe a thong even if you're on the right beach. And. They don't see it as sexual at all. But you're looking with your New York eyes going, damn, I'm not used to this much ass being everywhere. And I'm not complaining. Uh, I'm enjoying that. Like I said, most of the people here are naked. (laughs) You know, the women, the women of all shapes and sizes, the smalls, the mediums, the largest, the extra largest and the XXXLs are also naked so with some of the girls you know try to hide that ass they try to wear the little wrap around it it's like eh, still see how far sticking out there (laughs) in the back you ain't hiding nothing and then there's the girls that they're just like yo we about to let it all hang out so if you're not into nudity miami not the place for you um but i'm into it and like i said i have these New York non-beach eyes, so it's very sexual to me. Like, damn, look at that ass. (laughs) I've hurt my neck once or twice trying to look at it as it passes, but it's so much of it. At a point, it's like, just look at what's in front of you, and the one that just went past you or on the side of you shall reappear magically in a few steps, and you'll probably get to see it naturally. Uh, but yeah, you start to understand the music uh, that comes from Miami, you know, very uh, sexual music, you know, all the way back to Uncle Luke, pop that pussy and all that shit. It's just like he went out to the beach and just the beat was already playing and he was just saying what he saw, <laughs> which is why his music was always so odd to anybody that's not from Miami, because you're just like, why is this guy yelling sexually explicit lyrics, you know, over bass beats on a Sunday 
And it's like, because, yeah, he was out and he was just saying what he saw. Can a nigga get a table dance? <laughs> Those girls that he was saying that to probably weren't even strippers. But because they had the bikini on and whatnot, he just had to yell it. Can a nigga get a table dance? That's one of the most aggressive song titles. <laughs> ah, that shit, if Uncle Luke, if he made these songs he was making back then, now, I would just like to see the think pieces that people would come up with because people think piece everything. I mean, you know, what's crazy, actually, is we like to pretend cancel culture and censorship just started. But it's like that motherfucker had to go to court for that shit. dog. He had to go to fucking court banned in the USA. If you're youngin, go look up that song and see that Uncle Luke had to fight for the right to say pussy on a song. <laughs> Can a nigga get a table dance? Congress heard that one and was like, you know what? <laughs> we got to stop this. <sighs> Which, I mean, is always funny now in retrospect of like, you know, all these people, Larry Flint and Larry Flint that ran Hustler magazine for those of you kids that are listening. How old am I? Maybe it's because it's my birthday that I keep referring to my listeners as children, but Larry Flint, uh, who was my other guy that died recently, Hugh Hefner, and those guys were showing pussy and making money, but they, of course, came to get the black man and stop him from saying pussy in a song. So, at a point, of course, Uncle Luke wound up winning, and now... You got the city girls and all that shit. There's a big ass billboard of the city girls as I was coming into Miami here. I was like, that's pretty dope, right? You know, I remember when my name was on the Apollo marquee, uh, I, I had a date and I purposely walked her past 125th and looked up and went, oh, wow, look at that. Oh, I, I thought they were going to do it on a Tuesday, but it turns out they did it on a Monday. And she kind of looked at me and rolled her eyes like, Negro, you knew your name was on this marquee. Don't don't act anyway. But uh, still didn't get none. But anyway, that's another story for another time, children. But yeah, it was a billboard of the city girls. You know, Uncle Luke fought for the right to say pussy. And I'm sure he, he couldn't even foresee that women would be saying it years later. That's why the rap conversations are annoying. You know, these gender wars, battle of the sexes that go on on Twitter and Instagram and everything else, you know. Oh, you guys are just mad because women are owning their sexuality. It's like, look, Uncle Luke went to court. So Meg Thee Stallion could make, what's that new song? I don't even know. <laughs> Hands on my knees on some thought shit that you just like, word. <laughs> and I mean... I've deleted TikTok from my phone, but you go on TikTok, boy, them girls is tearing it up to that song that, again, you go, you know what? If this is in promotion of your OnlyFans, then this all makes sense. But, ma'am, if you te you are a teacher, then I don't know if you want to be posting hands on the knees on some thigh shit on the gram. <laughs> yeah, just like, uh, what's, what's this in promotion of exactly, ma'am? Uh, and there have been a couple of girls that have gotten fired and different things for OnlyFans accounts that it's just like, uh, yeah, that kind of is a violation of a professional contract. Now, me personally, I don't give a fuck. I would hope 
would hope that my kid's teacher would have, also have an OnlyFans account. I, I would definitely show up to those PTA meetings and whatnot. Uh, anyway, what else is going the fuck on? Uh, sports, the playoffs is going. We're into the conference finals now. Shit's kind of being interrupted by injuries, which of course LeBron is. LeBron is kind of whining about all the injuries, but it's like this happens every summer, you know. Injuries happen every summer. Everybody's trying to blame COVID and the shortened season or the shortened off season that they had because I think what the season ended last summer in like August, and then they restarted like November. So. And even I was a a little surprised that they started so soon because there was a year where there was no COVID and they started on Christmas and that felt appropriate. But LeBron is just an employee. We forget that. It's like this this motherfucker's in his 18th year on the job and he is just an employee. So he is like, look, what in the hell? I told you guys not to start the season so soon. I told you people would be hurt. And I told you we didn't need the all-star game because he was whining in like, oh, yo, we, you know, I guess the, uh, what is it, the NBA board meetings or whatever. And he's on the board, but Chris Paul's the head and the head, you know, got COVID. Chris Paul caught COVID and the Suns are in the conference finals. That is just like odd because you go, how the damn head of the players union (laughs) that made the rules for COVID now has to go into COVID protocol and sit out a few games, which also he's vaccinated. So of course, everybody that's anti-vax is looking at that and and not just anti-vaxxers because I got to say, I don't think I'm an anti-vaxxer, but even myself, I'm looking sideways like, how's he how in the hell's he got the vaccine, but <laughs> he's also got COVID. And I don't think he even has symptoms. So it's a little bit of like, damn, y'all really are fucking up some of these matchups. You know, this guy's healthy and could play, which actually this might be good for him because he had like a shoulder injury that was lingering or whatever. He's a little fucking guy. He takes a beating, but this might finally be the year the Suns get to win something. So that's good for the little guy, for the small market teams, because, you know, for years it's just been LeBron and whichever city he chooses dominating and super teams, you know, Golden State with Kevin Durant dominating, you know. Well, I guess Oakland's not such a major market, but, you know, it is California. The largest is is California, I think the second largest state. Don't quote me on that, folks. A little little bit of social studies here. Uh, (laughs) Don't quote me on that. I think it's Texas is largest, but California is right next to it. It's top three. I know that much. I mean, the state's got what? Four sports teams, Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, Kings. And I mean, so yeah, this is good for the little guy. You got Phoenix going up against the Clippers, and then you got Milwaukee battling Atlanta. So this is good for the little guys to get a taste and for some players to see that you don't have to fucking always abandon the team that drafted you and whatnot. You know, Devin Booker's out there cooking. Giannis is out there cooking. And I do like the new rule that they gave them incentive to stay now, the players. If you're stay on the team you're drafted by, you can make more money, which 
even still, some people are like, eh, cool, still not staying in Oklahoma City. And I get it. You know, if I was a star, it's like, look, I don't want to fucking be the richest guy in Oklahoma City <laughs> either. I don't want to spend 10 years in Oklahoma City neither. I get it. Especially as a black dude <laughs> dropped off on the fucking, I don't know, the Idaho Stampede or some shit. I think that might be a college team. Don't quote me on that. But Idaho doesn't have a professional sports team, which is back to my point. Good to see a fucking Milwaukee may make its first finals appearance in a long time. You know, and Giannis stayed, Devin Booker stayed. Uh, you know, because everybody was gushing over, uh, you know, Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Because we're so offensive, you know, minded. Everybody from an entertainment aspect, nobody pays to see fucking defense. But I said all that to say DeAndre Ayton is tearing it up. He's fucking killing it. So it looks like the number one pick wins, you know, because for a few years there he was hurt or whatever. And then, you know, developing or whatever this year. And then Phoenix wasn't making the playoffs and Luka was. So everybody was hailing the great white hype. And I mean, Luka can fucking play. So let me not sit here like he's not dope. He might be the first white athlete to have a shoe. <laughs> it's been a long time since a white man had a shoe. <laughs> This has now turned into the Uncle Ruckus podcast. There is an episode of the Boondocks, and they mention that Uncle Ruckus is looking for sneakers, and he's like, does a white man have a shoe? All these Laboon James and this one and that one. <laughs> anyway, I'm on the tangent, but yeah, it's good to see the small markets starting to, everybody's panicking in Philly. I think that's fucking funny. The last episode of this was into aptly entitled fuck Trey Young because New York kind of made that their calling card as Trey Young was kicking their ass and he kicked Philly's ass too it took him seven games but he did and the fallout from that I've been enjoying because Ben Simmons is being torn to shreds and I mean if you've been listening to this podcast you've probably heard me say several times I love Ben as a player he's very Reminds me of Grant Hill a lot, but this generation, for some reason, wants him to be a fucking point guard. And that is just not something that I see because he can't shoot. And that's kind of a thing you need to be able to do. And of course, there were, you know, you go back to the Sixers of like Eric Snow when we were growing up and these little guys that were just leaders and floor generals that really didn't score a whole lot. Kenny Smith's another one. Uh, Eric Snow. Really in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, Charlie Ward, that was a Heisman Trophy winner and played, you know, was a starting point guard for the Knicks and averaged maybe seven points a game. And it's like, you know, you can do it and not be a great scorer, a great shooter. But the other thing that I see is, you know, he's such a big guy that he's fast for a big guy. He's not fast for a little guy you just need to be able to get in the paint and I mean Ben gets in the paint but like he's fucking 6'10 so when he gets in the paint you know it's fast for a big guy but it's slow and I mean not to get too deep into hoops talk but my favorite pacer growing up was Jalen Rose and he played for the Pacers and you, you, you I guess if you watch now you know him as an announcer and I mean black Twitter is all 
always clowning him for his immaculate hairline, or I shouldn't even say clowning, but they're, I guess, somewhat in awe at his hairline because it's always fucking razor sharp. They're like, yo, this nigga's barber needs to be the richest man on earth. <laughs> like, yo, he must get shape ups with a protractor because his shit be, and it do be crisp. Anyway, that was my favorite pacer. He was fucking smooth, left-handed. But anyway, Jalen played point guard for Michigan. If you're, if you're not a Hoops fan, Fab Five, look it up, Google it. And as a pacer, he played small forward. Once six man of the year, we made the finals. And then a year later, Larry Bird stopped being our coach. And Jalen's childhood idol, Isaiah Thomas, was brought in as the coach. And he was promised he would let him play point guard. And then halfway into the year, he just started realizing, like, yo, Jalen's too slow as a point guard, you know? Being big and being smooth, all the things that make you a good small forward kind of can make you a bad point guard at a point. But yeah, Jalen's too slow. You need to be able to kind of sneak in down into the paint. And you need to be good in those pick and rolls. And you got to make people be, jump out on top and challenge your shot. And I mean, you know, Jalen could shoot way better than Ben Simmons. But anyway, I said all that to say his childhood idol, Isaiah Thomas, because he's from Detroit played for Michigan that he grew up with as the coach of the Pacers promised him he could play point guard just like he did in college and then three months in Isaiah Thomas blew that whole shit up we let Jamal Tinsley run point and I mean Tinsley was tremendous had 21 assists against Michael Jordan on Thanksgiving day that's one of the dopest games I've ever seen don't quote me on 21 assists by the way it might have been 29 or some crazy shit New York point guards are the best. Uh, that'll be another podcast we'll talk about. Because it's all concrete. So all the motherfuckers can do is dribble. You know, Larry Bird wasn't the greatest dribbler because he was playing on farms, dribbling in dirt and grass and shit. <laughs> but all the New York point guards can handle the ball because it's fucking nothing but concrete. Even the fucking apartments are concrete. Anyway. Jamal Tinsley took the point guard job. Isaiah thought he was too big and too slow. And Isaiah's a tiny point guard, so you're kind of biased to the small guys. And like I said, all the things that make you a small, good small forward are negatives for a point guard, you know, being smooth and not looking like you're trying and all those things that made Jalen a six-man. Anyway, Isaiah's childhood idol traded him. That's how that relationship ended. He sent him to Chicago. And that was how that ended. And that's the last time I seen somebody at 6'10 try to be a fucking point guard. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, people are. I was watching Sports Center this morning and they just had that shit on the big screen and were like, yo, what the fuck's going on? We got to get rid of Ben Simmons. Uh, how can we fix this? And it's like they're acting like he can't fucking read or something. It's weird. <laughs> Because it's like, yo, the dude is still an all-star, you know, all-star, all-NBA player. And defensively, he's become great. And I and I definitely thought Doc Rivers, if nothing else, a former point guard, would show up and clearly see that he is not a point guard in this league. And just because you can do something, it's going back to that old Chris Rock joker. You can drive a car with your feet. 
it's probably not a good fucking idea. Just because you can't do it don't mean you should. But yeah, it's just funny watching people overreact. And I've been on this train for years. And Doc Rivers finally leaves the Clippers. And now the Clippers are in the conference finals. Maybe it's you, Doc. Nah, I shouldn't say that. Because Ben didn't attempt the goddamn field goal. And I mean... On the joke side of the game, there's a play where Ben catches the ball in the paint, wide open, nobody between him and the rim. Ben kind of jumps up and throws a pass to Thibault, cutting on the baseline. And Thibault takes it up just out of obligation, but he's right between two defenders. And, of course, he gets fouled or he misses the shot. But the point being... You can clearly see Ben's just trying way too hard to be a passer. And it's like, dude, you probably could average 12 more points per game if you just would shoot half the shots you pass up. And I mean, for those of you listening, I know I move kind of fast here, but if you uh, are a fan of the boys, uh, the sketch group online, RDC World, They do a lot of black sketches and a lot of hoop sketches, anime sketches, whatever, rap sketches. I like them. Anyway, (laughs) they did a sketch almost two years ago about how Ben, you know, would be under the hoop all alone and jump up and then pass the damn ball back out. And you're going, come on, Ben, this is like, bro, I didn't play, you know, at, at a high level growing up, but I played. And this is, you know, level one coaching of. If there's no one between you and the rim, take the fucking ball up. You're 6'10", dunk the shit. What are you doing? So being affectionately referred to as the pass. (laughs) And everybody's holding press conferences, which, I mean, I know SportsCenter, they get paid to do it. So it's just funny to watch, like, four grown men at 8 a.m. discussing intricately, like, okay, well, how can we fix Ben Simmons? (laughs) It's just like, well, this is an easy fix. He needs to shoot more than he fucking passes because he's a 6'10 top pick. And I feel like this is where the coaching, you know, going going back to college. And, you know, it's one year now that you have to stay in college. And I'm all for the young boys making their money. But for the game, these are things he would have learned if he spent two years. I mean, Grant Hill spent, I think, three under Mike Krzyzewski at Duke and learn these things are like, look, if we lose, everybody's going to point the finger at you. So you better figure out when to shoot and when to pass. And him being timid, I feel like it's all because he has Embiid there too to kind of cover up. Whereas LeBron had to take all that blame every year. And of course, KD kind of was showing, showing this whole time, even though they lost to Milwaukee, that was a good ass game. Uh, seven. So we had some game sevens. That's the best gift you can get for Father's Day, which the NBA's a little behind. But anyway, what else is going on out there? Oh, the NFL is starting to heat up some training camps. A player came out as gay during June, which I guess I feel like that's the time you're supposed to do it. (laughs) Uh, yeah, uh, who was this? Carl Nassib, I guess, came out. And, you know, he's the first openly gay player in the NFL. I mean, you had Michael Sams a few years ago that I, I maintain to this day. Michael Sams, even he, he was uh, what they call undersized in the NFL, which 
not the other undersized, <laughs> not under six inches, but the as a player undersized. Anyway, um, love wins and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, Michael Sam's, you may remember a few years ago, was a linebacker and motherfucker was pretty good, man. I think he had like three sacks in a preseason game. And I guess teams just decided to pass on him because it would have been a whole media circus about more more so about his sexuality than it would have been about him as a player. So a lot of teams at the time passed on him. And this was pre-Kaepernick and all that stuff. So, you know, in the NFL, you don't, you got a 53-man team or whatever. You don't want distractions, you know. NBA, yeah, you got 12 guys, so a distraction or two ain't so bad. But when you got a 53-man roster to manage a distraction, you know. And I I guess that makes sense from that standpoint. But the boy could fucking play Michael Sams. And I feel like, I guess the difference, the difference is about five or six years. And like I said, now that we've had Kaepernick and all these different discussions and social issues kind of coming to the forefront, uh... I guess he felt comfortable and I the difference being you know Michael Sams was I guess did Michael Sams come out in college I think he came out in college and told people like yeah you know I'm gay or whatever and I mean he was great in college Missouri I believe don't quote me on that but I, I'm pretty sure it was Missouri but he was a bad motherfucker at Missouri and then like I said I, I thought he could play if you could sack somebody three damn times and I mean you can insert all the you know he's gonna find his man and he's gonna he's gonna wanna grab a hold of a man and all you can insert all the easy jokes right there but yeah Michael Sims could fucking play I maintain that if you can get to the quarterback three times in preseason and I, I think that was a record I don't think no one else did that and, you know, everyone tried to shit on it because it was the preseason. But it's like, you know, you practice like you plays the same for a reason. Anyway, this guy, Carl Nassib, did it opposite. He waited till he was a pro for a few years. I think he was with the Browns. Now he's with the Raiders. Um, and just kind of casually said, hey, by the way, I'm gay and I'm donating 100000 or 10000 to... An organization that, you know, raises suicide awareness. Pardon me, some asses walking by. Ooh, okay. Can a nigga get a table dance? Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so Carl Nassib, this, he came out, and like I said, I guess he saw maybe Michael Sims did it in college, and, you know, while, you know, I guess awareness is cool at a point, being a distraction, I guess can be a concern for a player. So he waited until he's a few years deep in the league, got some cash in his pocket, and just casually came out and said, hey, by the way, I'm in the men. And uh, I'm donating to an organization that raises awareness for gay youth. So it is what it is to each his own, man. More women for me. (laughs) Can a nigga get a table dance? Anyway... (laughs) Uh yeah, that that's happening and that happened. Like I said, I guess he learned from that and uh you know, it is what it is. It's my birthday and 
I hope you guys enjoy this fucking episode. I'm going to go ahead and get off here because the ladies on the beaches are waking up. And I got some breakfast waiting on me downstairs, you know, complimentary and whatnot. Uh, so make sure I grab my room key here. Uh, you guys, like I said, you know, like, share, subscribe. Uh, leave a comment. Rate the fucking podcast. Do something for your boy. Hope you enjoy this episode. Like I said, Ibrahim's back shotgun. And we got Jared Waters on. Go online. Look up some of his clips of his comedy. And listen to some of these stories of him fighting in odd places. We're both military kids. So we had that in common. And I got some acting roles. Uh, inmate one, two, and three that I need to be studying up on here. I got to do a self-tape. For an upcoming TV show, which how do you know you've made it as a black actor when you're auditioning for not just the role of one inmate, but inmate one, two, three, and four, motherfucker. I'm versatile. Anyway, we all knew it would come here, but practicing for this role reminds me a little of uh, Robert Townsend, and if you've ever seen the movie uh, Hollywood Shuffle. When (laughs) he kind of makes fun of being a black actor and he has black actor school and the only three roles are pimp, uh, pimp, dealer, and there's another one. And it it is a very funny movie if you haven't seen it. Go watch that. And uh, the funniest part is there's a a horror movie of Revenge of the Killer Pimps or some shit where it's like, damn, niggas can't just have a horror movie. Niggas got to have Revenge of the Killer Pimps. Even in our zombie movies, we still pimping. Can a nigga get a table dance? Uh, So, yeah, we're going to end on that note. Check out the rest of this episode. That's enough of me ranting and talking my shit. Uh, Hope you enjoyed the episode. Like, share, subscribe, folks. I'm out. Hey, what up? What's up, Cal? Long awaited, man. The long-awaited, well-anticipated, the one and only Mr. Jared Waters uh, people is joining us today on the podcast, uh, a.k.a. Turbo. (laughs) That's his hashtag, folks. I I don't even know if he's actually fast or if he can really race in real life or not. Shoot, ran a 4-3 in high school. 4-3? 4-3. That's pretty fast. So did you get the name in high school or you gave yourself that nickname? So Turbo got a whole different meaning. If you're in the if you're in the, the deep south where I started in the southern um Turbo means like, you know, I'll be like, let's get it go. Come on, Turbo, let's go. That's what you say in football. And we had a dude on our football team who would always be slow, but he would gas out after twenty yards. So that's what we say Turbo. Hilarious. <laughs> Hey, that's a good nickname. You gotta hit. You gotta hit that turbo button. I feel hit like that, that turbo button on every uh, video game there. Right, and that's what. And that's straight up video games. Everything else. Well, down south, everybody was like turbo. Come on, t- turn on the jets, turbo. But it's like that in real life. You know, you gotta at some point you gotta turn up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Give it some juice. Um, yeah. Give it some juice. That's definitely. A, that is definitely a phrase. All right, Ibrahim in the phone now. What up, Ibrahim? What's good, y'all? Hey, good morning. Happy Juneteenth and all that. Yes, sir. Uh, Yeah, Juneteenth passed. I don't know how y'all feel about that. 
passed. All right, it's today, ain't it? No, he's saying they passed in the uh, oh, it um, passed Congress oh, it passed. a oh, national right, right, holiday. Right. Yeah, I want the I want the anti lynching bill first though. Yeah, that's a lot of get. See, yeah, I, I was feeling about the same. I'm seeing some more white people being like, "Oh my God, we're making progress," and it's just like, "No, we're not." <laughs> no, same old America. You know, years late. Mm-hmm. Then it's the fact that white people get the day off too. That is just like, <laughs> <laughs> so you being rewarded for punishing us, basically. Yeah. Well, what else is do? They yeah, also, exactly. They, got, they also got compensated when they when they lost all their slaves when they were emancipated. So, right. This so, the American way, my nigga. It's some wild shit, man. And America's just so backwards, and it wouldn't be so backwards as a country if. They weren't, you know, land of the free, home of the this, home of the that. That is mm. just like, man, cool. Let's just take all that shit down, though. Mm-hmm. But uh, you guys, you guys were both out on the street last night, so I asked y'all both, you know, one at a time, how was y'all night and where was y'all last night? Well, you know, Mr. Waters is everywhere. Me and you were <laughs> together in Harlem. <laughs> yeah, we was together in Harlem, Grill on the Hill. Uh Last oh, how was that? I got hit with a chicken wing. I didn't get hit with a chicken wing this time, so <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty good return. Uh, and I mean, I asked y'all both in particular. I'm kind of just waking up here, if I'm being honest. So my thoughts are just coming in, but it's like, yo, it feel like comedy's actually back, man. Yeah. Uh, to a degree. Yeah, I think it's it's back to where everybody remembers. You know, but I think that it never left. You know, people still kept going out. People stopped doing that. You know, the comfortability of comedy's back. Being comfortable, being where you were, or everything else, your surroundings. Right. Well, I yeah. feel like we was doing, you know, we was doing little uh, ambush shows type shit and doing parks. You know, you got to worry about the wind taking your jokes and shit. Helicopters flying over the whole nine, but. But yeah, I guess there's some truth to what you're saying. Of it never left. I mean, if you live down south or something, it never went the fuck away. But or, or New, New, New York. York City, New York City. You know, shout out. I feel like the comics who did those park shows got stronger because now you can't get distracted when you get that drunk, that drunk group of girls that are saying whatever. It's like nah. I can heckle by a helicopter and 17 motorcycles. Fact. Mm-hmm. It's it's like playing outside in the park where, like I said, you like yo the wind. It might rain. There might be a pothole in the middle of the court. And you just got to know that. <laughs> That's uh-huh. one thing that I give most credits more, uh, most sports more credit for is, you know, they have those uh, outdoor factors that they got to deal with, like in football and baseball. I- I'd be curious to see the NBA have to play like outdoors for a whole year. Oh, so <laughs> they couldn't handle it. They yes, couldn't handle them. Niggas have to adjust. That would be yo. To be honest with you, that's That'd kind of an genius idea to have a black top, a black top. You know how like hockey, they have like one game a year. I think they kick the season off with it, where they play outside at like mm-hmm. Wrigley Field or something like. And that's actually pretty dope. It would be dope if they did that once with the NBA. Yeah, I thought play- we were gonna see some of that once they shut the league down. And I thought, well, there's no way they'll come back, and then they figured out, all right, we'll come back without fans. And just mm-hmm. be in arenas, but yeah, I was definitely thinking, oh, okay, because you know, 
all of us, especially mostly black people, definitely thought like, you know, if we outside, we can't catch it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know I thought that a little bit. Nah, I ain't think no, I ain't think no shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> I hey, the hell with you. Away, you was me. one of them black people can't get it, niggas. I know you. Who me? I, mm-hmm. Look, man, nah, 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 I wasn't that, but it, I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I didn't have any thoughts on the shit. I just was. I just wasn't gonna be swayed either way. I just know I had to be careful because I got kids and stuff. You know, I nah, won't take yeah, nothing definitely. out. Back to my, back to your family, whatever. Because I was out here doing shows and stuff, living somewhat recklessly. But then I seen old Jared Waters' turbo schedule and was like, oh, I'm, I'm chilling. I don't know what he doing though. <laughs> <laughs> Jared was out here getting it, elevating. Yeah, he was getting to it. That's why he was the one that was like, hey, comedy never left. <laughs> I said boots on the ground. In fact, you had to take advantage of that opportunity. I mean, shit, I didn't, I wasn't out as much as Jared, but I was out there. And I felt myself, like, elevate a little bit in the scene. Just a little bit. You know what well, I mean? Well, from, it was definitely what a I did privilege. Do. Like, uh, I remember watching a Chris Rock Breakfast Club interview, and he was like, oh, comedy, as far as touring and stuff, is dead until 2022. And it was just like, well, that's easy for you to say. Like, you know, that's the privilege of having a mansion and all that shit. Mm. But as for the rest of us, we out here in these streets mostly, you know. It had to be worth it for me. But, yeah, it, it's nice not to have to play against the elements and not to have to, you know, be off in the wind and people throwing Frisbees, dogs barking. Well, if you think about it, sometimes comedy goes back to where it started. It started in parks, you know. It started being outside. I think the comfortability of us getting to inside, you know, changes everything perspective. But Charles, what's his name? Charles, uh, the buddy from um, – He's the first black dude selected for SNL. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Not Charlie the first, Barnett. the second one, Charlie Barnett. Charlie, Charlie Barnett. Barnett. Yeah, he was special. 100 people, right. 100 people in Washington Square Park doing his act and stuff like that. Right. Yep. Sure. Yeah. I remember being in Tampa and Gallagher telling us we weren't real comedians until we can go outside and do a carnival. And we <laughs> thought he was crazy. And now I'm Gallagher? Like, yeah, he used to come down. He he got sick or something. He would come down to open mics, and he would. He's from that area, so he would fuss people out respectfully. He's like, "This is how you tell a joke." Da 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 da. Then he goes, "You know, real comedy has been in a carnival, three hundred people around outdoors, everything else." So I'm like, "Well, you don't got to do that." But now Did I he see. smash a watermelon after the East? He didn't. No, this is him past. This is this is this is retired version where he's just walking around at open mics. So from what okay. I understand, from what I understand, though the whole the the watermelon thing, he was a from what I hear just as close that he was a decent comic, like back. They then. all are. It just they, was. It was just that the watermelon thing. I think he did it one time and it caught on, and it caught on, and then that hmm. became his thing. But from what I understand, he was a respectable comic before that, before the whole watermelon thing. Well, that's the thing. You have to. Um... You have to build the skill. It's like they say of like, if you learn the rules so you can break them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of times we like to look at these people that, you know, who have streamlined what they do, like Jeff Dunham, even it's like Jeff Dunham has all those puppets. And every year he's on the Forbes list and people just go, ah, that's silly puppet at puppet at shit. But if he removed those puppets, he'd still have a pretty decent set. 
Right. Right. Like he started somewhere. He probably <clears throat> didn't start with those puppets. And then like, you know, you get some of these comics that come to open mics and you know, Louis CKO, he did an N-word joke, so I can do one. And it's like stupid. The context of this is so, you know, backwards. And like Louis CK was a regular ass comedian. Go back and look at the first HBO special. He wasn't doing N-word jokes then. He made it to Madison Square Garden. He sold it out. Everybody here paid to see him. That's why he can do an N-word joke. Mm -hmm. You are just in a free space. So if somebody walks up here and punches you, then it just is what it is. Yes, somebody walks by and punches. Like nobody paid to see you. You're paying paying to get on stage. (laughs) <laughs> how do you think that's the same and I know I definitely get frustrated at this point when you start hearing shit like that it's just like you know shit like that that's like disarming a bomb you know you, you pull the wrong wire and boom there goes the whole fucking room now Gallagher which Gallagher was that uh Jared was that this Gallagher is the, one this is the Gallagher one the original one so he <laughs> was kind of no Gallagher the original- I love that we talking about this motherfucker like he's an action figure or something. <laughs> For those of you listening, it's because if you don't know, Gallagher sold his act. Oh, yeah. Of his brother. Watermelons to like his brother. And then his brother sold the act and the name to somebody else after. So I think we're at like Gallagher 4 now. Wow. Did 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 you did he ever talk about any of that stuff? The last interaction I had with Gallagher, right? This is when I was super young. Was the last one. I wished him happy birthday, and this is what he's uh, he he he, he put, This is Gallagher. I got the messages right here. This is Leo Gallagher. I wished him happy birthday, and then he goes, "Your name is inside out." This is Facebook because my name is Waters Jarrett. Oh. He goes, that's what he goes, your name is Inside Out. He goes, tell me a routine, an idea that you're working on, and I'll tell you what the comedy gods say. <laughs> I kid you not. I'll show you these messages. And I tell him, there's only one God, my friend. And I said, he's above in the heavens. I said, but you can open up for me at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and this is what he said. He said, Madison Square Garden is a round. Times Square is a triangle. They say New York has five <laughs> barrels, but I didn't see one donkey there. I was All like, right. was he calling me a donkey? <laughs> he called you a jackass in other words yeah that's what he said when, he I, told, you when I told him he can open up for me in Madison Square Garden <laughs> that's fucked up I like but I like I, but it shows you his writing skills right there it's like yeah. he calls you a jackass without calling you a jackass he, he, he presented this <laughs> entire presentation around it for you to have to think about it and go, did he just call me a jackass? Yes, that's exactly what he just called you. He's very witty. Like he went, he he's like, I forgot what he told me how smart he was. But sometimes I think like when you get too smart, you start confusing yourself. You know? Yeah. What the hell, man? Yo, you know how anchor be. So you know why? Because I haven't trashed anchor. Yeah, I haven't trashed anchor, and we're gonna get this piece of shit. You keep it honest. You feel like. I'm saying, if no, that was the one episode where I don't try, I don't start off trashing Anchor, and you see what happened, it collapsed. <laughs> it was like, hold up, where's my shout out? Yeah, I usually trash Anchor, and now this, this is not what happened. You usually do. 
It felt like Gallagher smashed Garrett's uh, phone with a hammer. Yeah. No, that wasn't my connection, was it? No. Nah, I wasn't oh. you, but <laughs> I, in my mind, that's how I'd like to imagine, you know, what happened right there was Gallagher came through with the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's funny. Imagine, like, your joke's not working or your joke's just hitting to, like, a medium level, and then you're like, man, I think this shit missing something. I think I need a hammer. And a watermelon. <laughs> that motherfucker had a tasty act. Like, that's just weird. But anyway, you were re- right in the middle of uh, reading Gallagher's message. You said he was telling you your name was Inside Out. Yeah, because on Facebook, it's Waters Jared. Oh, yeah. It is, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, so he was he was also explaining how he said he told him he could open for him at Madison Square Garden. He told uh, Jared told Gallagher he could open for him at Madison Square Garden because he told me he told him what uh tell me what project you're working on. T- and I'll tell, tell me you a routine. Go- tell me a routine idea you're working on, and I'll tell yeah. you what the comedy gods will say. Right, hilarious. And I was, like, there's, I was like, there's only one god. There's only one god. He's above the heavens. I said, but you can open up for me at Madison Square Garden. And he read me and goes, Madison Square Garden is around. Times Square is in a triangle. They say New York has five barrels, but I didn't see one donkey when I was there. <laughs> That's funny. And I was, well, you'd have to be quite an eccentric motherfucker to be Gallagher. So that's interesting, man. Did he give Did he give y'all like a lot of good tips? He did. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. He did. He really knows comedy inside out. You know, he knows about performance and stuff like that. And he was just sometimes just like when you're too smart. You don't know how to break it down for young people to understand, you know? Well, yeah, it's, it's good that he's around because, you know, some people, they kind of elevate to legendary status and then they never come back around, you know, to teach. It ain't a whole lot of teachers left, you know. And That was only one time. I don't know if he's still out there, but that was like maybe like six, seven years ago when I was out in Tampa. And I was like, oh, that's Gallagher. You started mm-hmm. in Tampa, right? I started in college in North Carolina, but when I went back to Tampa, that's where I got like my chops. I went to a comedy club, and that's where I learned like the art, the real like stand up, and how to pretty much how to do stand up for real. Mm-hmm. How'd you get into it in North Carolina? How'd you start in North in NC? Honestly, man, um, I've always wanted to do stand up my whole life. You know, I was. Who, who I, was the inspiration? Red Fox. I remember I was eleven. And my dad brought home these Sanford and Son DVDs. We would always watch them once, but once the back in the day they used to put like the whole full seasons out. Remember that? Yeah. Uh-huh. So we would watch Sanford and Son. We always laugh. And then he finally got the DVDs of season one and season two. And then I went on Napster and downloaded all the Red Fox's albums. Not Napster, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Almost wrecked my dad's computer down. All the things on Napsters, put them on a CD was listening to it at school, and I would just tell all the Red Foxes jokes all the time. Yeah, those uh-huh. shits were good to have handy, you know what I mean? I, I was the same way but for Chris Rock. I remember watching, like, Toss Salad Man in fourth grade on HBO, you know, when uh, Chris Rock special Bring the Pain when he talked about the Toss Salad Man. Uh-huh. Which I was thinking about uh, a few days ago that that's really just like the Booty Warrior. <laughs> because <laughs> everybody thinks the boondocks tv show made up the booty warrior and then you go on cnn to lock what is it called lockdown or lock up yeah and it's like nah that was a real person <laughs> he actually got out recently i remember uh j 
Jay Farrow, the morning he got out, Jay Farrow uh, made a post of like, yo, y'all know the Booty Warrior just got released. <laughs> I was like, hey, yo, that's a weird fact to know. Jay was like, yo, uh, well, you got to keep up with where he's at at all times. <laughs> this shit had dying. Like, yo, why would you know that? But, uh, yeah, man, um, those jokes and stuff are, you know, that's like useful to have on hand, you know. And if you think about it, Red Fox's jokes are like timeless because everyone turned his jokes into memes and turned it into like those those Christmas and Thanksgiving uh, text message blasts where it's like, if one of the pilgrims shot bobcaps for Thanksgiving instead of turkeys, like he made all those jokes. Right. <clears throat> well, back then, I think that was just like a, you know, hip thing to be, you know, the bar guy that knows all the jokes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's technology advances, like you say, in the memes and stuff. And I, Ibrahim knows this because we talk so much on here and off the uh, podcast. But I hate comedians that'll be like, oh, you know, such and such, that comedian's doing a meme. And it's like, no, motherfucker, memes are doing comedians. <laughs> <laughs> like, this shit isn't falling out the sky. Somebody's saying this shit. And then people are taking it and writing it over pictures. Uh-huh. So at a point, it's like, nah, man, you know, that this was our job. Be quick, right. be quick to be brief. And now you got these memes, which one of my mans, he just told me, I used to really worry about it and get upset when I saw it. And my man was like, basically, they're new street jokes. So that's, yeah, that's all right. These people sharing all these memes are basically street jokes written on like some sort of Internet card. If you look at uh-huh. it that way, yeah, it's it's actually becoming. Um, it, it makes you dig deeper. You can either have to do one or two things. You can either dig deeper to be a funnier comedian because now the fact that the public funny is just so. I mean, the public's perception or the public's uh, opinion of what's funny is so public, meaning like everyone's consuming it at, at the same time. Versus right. when you were a comedian back before social media. When you said something, it was in the public's conscience, but it wasn't it wasn't displayed anywhere or kept record. Anywhere. Nobody put it into words. Right. So when you said it on stage, it really resonated and it popped because, yo, yeah, I was just thinking that. And, you know, I thought I was alone, whereas now everybody's pretty much on one accord with what's humorous at a particular point. Nah, fact. And not just not just on one accord, but on um not on one accord, but on um, two or three different accords, depending on politically what you kind of get down with, you know? Right, right, right. So, yeah, you're really right to where so, I've seen, you know, obviously conservative memes to where they kind of mock the liberals. Then there's liberal memes that kind of mock them. Then there's like mm-hmm. black memes that is mm-hmm. just like, you know, if you're black in America, you're going to feel this one. Right. And there's just generic, damn near Hallmark card memes. So you're really right. It's yeah, forcing so us to dig deeper. It, it, and it I forces think, you to look. Yeah. And I think we always dug deeper. But what I what I don't like about what's going on now is these are the bars that make you the thinker, the purveyor of consciousness. You know, think about like Paul Mooney passed recently. Everyone knows. One of his most famous bars he actually gave to Richard Pryor, you know. Uh, what it was it you looking for? Chick so bad, chick so bad, sucker. That's just what you see, just us. Oh, 
I've seen that written on a picture of James Baldwin that it's like, well, first off, James Baldwin didn't say this. Mm-hmm. Richard Pryor did via Paul Mooney. So it's like, yeah. <clears throat> and the and, bar that Biggie said, Chick So Bad, I Sucker Daddies, that came from Paul Mooney. That came Mooney. from Paul Mooney. He gave it to Richard Pryor. He said it inside the green room. Richard Pryor said it on his uh, album. Paul Mooney gave him that bar. Yeah, uh, that was on That Nigga's Crazy, right? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, a lot of them were highly influenced by comedians. Uh, Jay-Z has a bar that's an Eddie Murphy bar. What, Girls, Girls, Girls? When he's mm-hmm. like, uh, mm, foo, foo. when I met you, you was dead, broke, and naked. Now you one half. half. Mm-hmm. Which I'm still over here scratching my head. Like, hold up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which half a- was that? Yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he even said, um, foo, foo. He said, Slow down, um, foo, foo. When I met your ass, you were there, broken naked. Now you won't have, yeah. So yeah, that's the Eddie Murphy from Raw. So mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, man. I I just wish we could have some of these bars that it's like, and I mean, I've seen it go opposite way. I think I've said on this podcast before, you know, Michael Shea's special or whatever. And literally the next morning, the fat Jewish had a quote that he said on a special, written on a picture. And Shay reposted it and was just like, you know, it's like I didn't even say these things. Uh, mm. uh, Which, what quote was that? Was that the 9-11 one? Well, several of his have just, and I, and I think he's a very good comedian, and I feel like that probably is the last classic special. But, um, yeah, uh, the 9-11 one, I think he said, all buildings matter. <clears> never forget, right. And then now every 9-11, everyone's just tweeting and, and memeing. And it's just like, God damn, he's right. It's like he didn't even say this thing. Now, the but only to be, but, to be on, but to be honest with you, I saw a, uh, I saw someone say that on a uh, – and this is before Chase special. I've actually seen somebody make that statement. Don't do that. Status. No, I'm dead ass. Here, here's why I'm saying don't do that. I'm because – I, and I think I we've had this conversation before mm-hmm. where anytime someone says something prolific and then someone just stands up and goes, I've heard somebody say that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of my comedy pet peeves. Who and what, what and when and where. And then if they weren't an artist, it's just one of them things like you were saying, if uh, uh, that may be in the consciousness or people may feel that way, I'm just the first one to say it on record. But I'm a big fan of like, oh, a nigga at the corner store said that one time. It's like, just give credit where credit is due. Um, the no, other, one, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm just being honest. Like, when I first heard him say that on stage, mm-hmm. I was, I had already seen that being been said on social media before. I've now, never seen it, and to this day, and and if I'm being real, I'm trying not to dig into like a huge like fan base of this person, and like really be throwing out all the bars out there. Right, right. The one that Fat Jewish stole wasn't even that one, mm-hmm. and it got like 10 million likes. And then they, you know, Comedy Central had to take away his deals, uh, Fat Jewish, and everything, because all the New York City comedians basically banded together and were like, "This guy is stealing." He follows us and he's stealing our thoughts and you're paying him for, you know, basically taking all, all our best thoughts and right. cobbling them together. So okay. the other one is, and I mean, somebody sent me this one the other day with Wanda Sykes' last special or whatever. Mm-hmm. She said something about white people, you know, saying 
you know, I'm almost as tan as you or whatever. Mm-hmm. All over the memes now. That is mm. just like Jesus Christ, man. It's like she never said that. Right. So again, it's just robbing us of our bars, I feel like, you know. And and a bar isn't an entire joke, like you're saying, of like, well, dig deeper and all this different kind of stuff is true, but it'd be nice to also have your fucking bars that I'm going, you know, Richard Pryor and them didn't have to deal with this. It's like when Cat Williams was saying recently, oh, well, you know, cancel culture, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're just not a good comedian, basically, if you can't work around the parameters and the specific example that he used was he said, uh, you know, it's like the speed limit. You know, people don't like the speed limit either, but it's necessary. Now, my retort to that was, well, hey, man, they keep changing the speed limit every eight months or so. That's what's annoying. And then they also retroactively try to go back in time and give us speeding tickets. And then there's also these podcasts we have to do that it's like, Kat, you didn't have to come up doing podcasts and shit. So let me uh, see how both of y'all feel about that. We'll start with Jared. Jared, did you hear what Cat Williams yeah, said? I heard what he said. I think that I think that comedians have to decide, you know, what side of the spectrum you're going to be on, you know? Because you could say Dave Chappelle does not abide to the speed limit. Right. At all. Doesn't abide to the speed limit and his last special proved that but when you say Chris Rock, I would say Chris Rock kind of sort of abides by the speed limit, you know? Because well, maybe to me, Chris Cat goes over the speed limit, and he that's kind of like, well, to hear him say that, I'm like, that's fair, your opinion, because okay, here's my perspective on it, and I mean, but Cat like hate jokes, and I don't think Chris Rock has done hate jokes either, you know? Well, Chappelle's not doing. He hate doesn't do. Jokes. He's not doesn't hate jokes, but I'm saying Chappelle. The words you say you can't say, he says them on purpose to prove that he can't say it. Does that make sense? Yes, a little bit. So, so like, we'll go back to Louis. Like, Louis saying nigger, right? Right. Louis saying it, thinking it's thought-provoking, funny bit. But what you did was you opened up the door for other people to think it's cool to say it now. Yeah, the less experienced comic, the amateur comic, the uh, person who really is only saying it for the sake of that. Mm -hmm. So... I guess what I wanted to add here was that I guess what you were describing a little with that speed limit analogy that Kat used was, um, you know, my thoughts on cancel culture, which here's the thing. I hate that people cobble all these together because I think PC culture and like censorship of words is not really cancel culture because then people start mixing in criminal Oh, well, Kanye's canceled and Weinstein's canceled. And it's like, Weinstein's a fucking criminal. Like, right. you know, mm-hmm. and Kanye just said something you don't like <clears throat> or disagree with. Or going through get- Eddie Murphy's old specials. I'm like, he was 21. He's completely different than what he was than he is now. Yeah, right. he was doing gay jokes. And he said the uh, F word in reference to gay people, the second F word. And he recently kind of said, hey, well, that's not a thing I would say now. And people got mad at him for it. But it's like you said, he was 20. But my perspective on it always has been a little bit of what Kat's saying to where it's like, look, the parameters make us have to play better. Meaning 
I came up at Crocker's Comedy Club in Indianapolis and we couldn't say fuck or we got banned for 90 days. And I mean, this was one of the few stages around. So if you got banned, it was like, eh, you got a spot at the bowling alley next week and that's it. You know, that might be all you had for the month. So you learn real quick. So now when I do my TV auditions, I'll say it has made me better for that. I just go back into my beginning mode of, all right, I can't say fuck it. And I can't say them, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But there is a side of like saying the wrong things is not funny and neither is saying the right things. And I feel like too often we split left or split right in this very like Magneto versus Professor X way. Facts. Whereas it's like, no, it's all the people in the middle that are hilarious because they're figuring out how to kind of mix and sprinkle in a little bit of both. And I think that like Chris Rock and them can never be canceled. You know, people love Chris Rock. Like, I well, that's like- what I'm saying. I got to feel some sort of way about somebody like a Shane Gillis, you know, who famously got, you know, hired to do SNL, then removed for, from SNL for saying some Asian hate kind of stuff. And I mean... This is Ooh. what I'm saying about the Pat Williams and them. Like opening a sandwich. What is? Yeah. <laughs> what is <laughs> that? Got hungry. What are you like opening a like peeling an onion? What are you doing? <laughs> Nigga Keep got going. hungry in the middle of a podcast. Who's that? That's you, Jared. Keep going. Let's go. <laughs> he said. He said. Fuck He's all like, that. He said. Fuck all that. Mind your business. Yeah. Go ahead. But uh, just like I was saying, somebody like a Shane Gillis, that it's easy for people to go, oh. Well, you're just not a good comedian, and no one's truly ever been canceled. Where it's like that boy lost, you know, hundreds yeah, he of thousands did. of dollars over a podcast that nobody listened to until they wanted to, you know, get him fired from that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's but, like, yo, it's easy for you to say, and I've I've had shit written about me online of oh, and it was all over Caitlyn Jenner joke that it's like, right. you know, yeah, it's like some people, but some at the same, do comedy differently. But at the same time, Shane has also become a national headliner but off, the, off of that same controversy. Well, true, and, and I wouldn't say national, and I, I don't want to debate you about how big another comic is, it, it, but, but he could be bigger, and he could have a few... Oh, we all could be bigger. What I'm saying... $100,000 checks in right. his pocket. You true. know, imagine having to tell your mother you got on SNL and having to call her the next day and say... Oh, I got taken down over a podcast, and she says to you, "What is a podcast of like what?" <laughs> yeah, but I think I think that situation is actually going to make him bigger than he probably would have been on SNL. Some Honestly, things work. Go ahead, go ahead. My so, bad. Some things work in some things work in the opposite will work out for the better when we think it's a disaster. You know what I'm saying? So I think the guy. You know, I think what happens is is that what happened for him won't happen for a lot of other people. Like you said, um, you know, the, the the whole shit you had that went on with you with the behind the Caitlyn Jenner joke and motherfuckers trying to write stuff about you, it didn't stop you. It didn't stop you. So it's like, I don't think it stopped him. That it didn't go, grow to the magnitude that it helped Shane out. Um, but... I'll say I lost I lost some free bar shows in Brooklyn. That's it. <laughs> so, so your, so your, so your, your, uh, your drink ticket count, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I mean, yeah, all right. 
but it's all depends on, you know, what level the person is at that tries to write you up. And we always as comedians are going to have opinions on other comedians. But then there's a level of like, I'll never try to get you fired. I might think, oh, Ibrahim's doing that joke. Ah, that's a little this or a little that. Mm-hmm. But I'll never be like, oh, Ibrahim needs to stop doing that joke. It's like, hey. Do do your thing, man, and, and let the chips fall where they may and let right. the people decide. But I hate that some of these older comics are entering the fray to tell us basically to stop whining. And it's like, you know, Cat, Cat didn't have to come up doing these podcasts where it's like, if we sit here and talk for two hours, I'm going to say something wrong. Right. That's just, you know, the law of, you know, comics. We like to play with fire. So, yeah. What was you about to say, Jared? You was about to and say, I said that talking. you get to see now how talented Shane really is. Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. his sketches now, you can tell the void that SNL was missing and what SNL saw in him. Yeah, I've seen because a few of his sketches Shane, in there, and, then it, and it's good. Shane was going to be the person that could reach middle America and hit the Republicans and hit the people who are conservative. Well, the thing is... And none of know, them can hit that market. Talk, for all this talk of, um, you know, diversity of, uh, you know, diversity of lineups, at a point, there's no diversity of opinion. Of opinion, yeah. right. Right. And, and, and that's the mark that we started to hit where we go, okay, there's six white guys, maybe two white girls on your show, and one black person, black woman, black male. But you all are, you know, the same, you know, Joe, go Joe Biden. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we got to defund the police. It's like, you just called them motherfuckers last week. What are you even talking about? Mm. But yeah, man, it's just, and, and, and I mean, you're somewhat of a, I, I wouldn't say you're clean. Are you a clean comic, Jared? I don't think so. Some people say that because I don't curse in my act, but... My act can get fairly blue, depending on what minute you're in. If you're in the 35, 45-minute range, you're going to start seeing my real personality. I think and my that, stand-up's about growth, about what I was as a boy before I became a man. And whatever you've done as a boy, those make the funniest stories because now you can look back at it as a man and be like, oh, I did grow from there. And, yeah, you can kind of uh-huh. say, I, I can't even see him doing that. But that's funny. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I feel the same way where sometimes I'll – you know, some people like Ibrahim will be like, you know, dig deeper. And I've had people tell me that. And it's like, you know, in New York, a lot of times you only get seven to eight minutes to where it's like, right. how deep can you fucking dig? But then you watch some of these comics, you know, they'll go right up. And so I'm depressed. It's like, God damn, you're hosting the show, man. <laughs> <laughs> your mind saying hi, you got right to your you're problem. You're hosting the show. <laughs> Motherfucker, we depressed too. That's why we came here. Make us laugh. <laughs> but uh and I and I think me and you stick out like sore thumbs in New York City because we're not typical New York City comics. Right. Now I feel like they try to be so so uh they try to dig so deep that at a point they just completely missed the mark to where it's like dog okay cool you're depressed that's for minute 18 of your set you got five minutes stupid it might be regional because down south and in the middle 
most crowds want you to be funny first before you start talking about your life. Mm-hmm. They want you to prove to me that you're going to be funny. So if you tell a sad, depressing story, we trust you to bring us back. Bring us back home, yeah. Right. But in New York, so, you don't have that much time, so so many people are invested into the person. Everyone is, damn, this is how I stand out and everything else. But when they go out to these, you know, Midwest or go to Long Island, I'm like, that's a lot for the first so you talking about how sad your life is, dog, and they done dog. paid $45 or $50 to get a babysitter and everything else. Mm-hmm. Right. I always think that is funny of, like, we had a comic come out with us, and we did a show in Philly, and he started talking about feminism, but from the perspective of New York City to where the women in the crowd are like, uh-uh, I like not working. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you thought they were about to clap for that, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, nah, this ain't New York, you know. You, oh, uh, you know, I'm in an interracial relationship, and people in New York, you know, start clapping. And you go out to like Pittsburgh, and people just like, okay, and <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there is a little bit of almost, I think, a lot of New York comics take themselves too seriously. Oh, you can see it now how they all went down to Texas and realized, like, it ain't that fun. I'm like, because Texas is still Texas, dog. Mm-hmm. It don't matter how liberal you think they are. If they didn't check you for a gun, that means people got guns in the crowd. Right. <laughs> good luck. Yeah, so good luck telling your your gun. Your gun take control away, joke. Yeah, your gun control joke in front of all these boys with pistols on their hips. Right. So, wait, so comics went down to wait, went down to Austin and realized that it wasn't it wasn't what they thought it was? Well, yeah, I know a lot of comics went down there and like, man, it's just... It's 80 people signing up for one open mic. I said, because there ain't that much stuff out there. Well, all of L.A. followed Joe Rogan down there. Joe went down there and said he was going to open the comedy club, which kind of remains to be seen. Not that I don't believe him. He's got the Spotify deal. Shouts out to Joe Rogan. Uh, Put us up. Book us. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, Rebecca Trent that was here in New York City at the Creek and Cave went down there. Which I think is funny is that we didn't go anywhere. We stayed here in New York and was like, fuck that. We hold it it out. We're going to rock out in the parks or whatever. But I guess L.A. just, I don't know. They just didn't have that spirit. But they shut them down completely, though. They couldn't be in parks. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't do nothing in L.A. And and, um, I was just speaking with Mike Nigel Fullerton on his part about this because he's going out there. Is that uh, even before COVID, it was hard to get stage time in LA as it was. Mm-hmm. So for you to go for so one of the biggest names in LA comedy to go, I'm going to Austin, Texas. Of course, they would all make the migration down here. And I just heard that uh, it's becoming a really good opportunity for comedians down in Austin. Like I see Tim Warner is is starting to really make his make his mark down there. Yeah, shouts out to Tim Warner. He's a New York comic maker. I did his podcast. He was around out here. So yeah. He was getting on the move right before the pandemic. And yeah, I see he's starting to look like he's playing flag down there. He is. Tim Dillon said Tim Dillon said on his podcast, he goes, He said everybody who moved to Austin are the people who couldn't make it in LA. A little bit. <laughs> There's a little truth to that. And like I said, they really just dick rode Joe Rogan down there where it's like, oh, wow. You know, Joe went down there and then it's like, be original, motherfucker. I'm surprised that they didn't all hop to Vegas. Vegas is lit. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't go to Youngstown, Ohio, where Dave Chappelle was. Oh, well, that just is, that's super dick riding, but they probably can't see over the gate. He's got around his sports. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Youngstown, this ain't no destination. And I heard, I heard he's uh, he's supposed to be opening a comedy club up there, right? Yep. That's what he was saying. But uh, Ibrahim, you was you was out recently. What what are some of the differences you see on the road? And uh, talk about your experiences as far as you know going out to Arizona and all that shit. Oh, well, Arizona was was cool. The comedy scene in Arizona is still. I didn't really get to see see what the comedy scene was, but I performed at the uh, Improv Improv Mania Comedy Club, which is uh, shout out to Dave Speck uh, that's out there. Um, he owns this place. It's, it's a really good room, and he makes comics feel really comfortable no matter where you're from. And I also did uh, Don't Tell Comedy. And I also did Bobby Johnson uh, has a, uh, a quote unquote urban room. OG Bobby Johnson, <laughs> Hoover <laughs> Deuce, Hoover Deuce. <laughs> yeah, he has a he has a, a room uh, uh, in his bar. Uh, it's called Tosos. It's a it's a venue called Tosos or whatever. It's like a little hole in the wall joint, but it's it was fun to do. I jumped up there, but um, the difference out there. Uh, I don't really feel a difference. I really didn't feel a difference from leaving uh, New York to going to Phoenix and doing stand-up out there. I mean, um, their comedies like more of the L.A. vibe, I guess. Like, we see an L.A. comic, the way they kind of do stuff. Um, but they, they love me. They love me out there. West Coast vibe. Uh, I guess I'll say, you know, the ideas for comedy that I know of. East Difference between East Coast and West Coast. West Coast is a lot more character-driven. And personality, right. personality driven. driven, right? And then the East Coast is like where your bars at, where your jokes at. It's a little like rap, yeah. And and also we're a lot like Jared said, we're a lot bluer. <laughs> we're a lot. We're we're willing to go. I wouldn't even dark. say bluer. I'd say darker. Darker. We're we're yeah. That's what I'm saying. We're we're a lot more dark when it comes to material. Like but think I, of, but I, I guess did for the listeners, and they liked it. For the listeners, think of how character-driven somebody like Cat Williams is. That he didn't necessarily come up in uh, L.A., but came up in Oakland, doing a lot of you know black rooms and stuff. And then even uh, what's what's uh, my girl that's on uh, Netflix, the little short Asian chick, Amy Wong, and Ali Wong. What is that? Ali Wong. Ali Wong. Yeah, and how character-driven she is. And then you come out to, you know, West Coast, you think about, you know, somebody like David Pell, somebody like Godfrey, that it's all, you know, joke-driven and, and uh, bars. You know what I mean? I would, I would challenge and say, because these young, these dudes that are from L.A. out here, like Jack Knight and Zach Fox and Jamar Neighbors, I would say you can tell the, the money that they have by the type of humor that they're doing. You can tell the money that they have. Correct. You can tell these boys got money because the risk that they were taking on stage, you can tell they had no, they were not, they did not care about the repercussions. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, so kind of you You're right. There is some new like wave of assurance comedy. a little bit of like, you can't cancel me. You can't, whatever you're doing here, like, I'm going to take this chance on this show. Like, when we get on a show, like, we got to go bar, 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 bar. But they're like, let's try something out new. I don't care if it doesn't work, let's try it out. And if it's funny to me, I'm going to do it because I've already that TV money is completely different, you know? Well, yeah, they're having, they're having fun. Right. We're more and, and the, blue collar a little bit because everybody's working to get to something. 
Right. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Every everybody out there, the goal is a TV show, so you would be character driven because you would say, "What can someone develop if there's a producer in the crowd? Can they develop a sitcom off my act?" And when you or think writers. about, like, you know, Gabrielle Iglesias and how huge these motherfuckers are, you know, Chris, Chris D'Elia. Uh, hey, hey, he's been stricken from the books. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm saying, like, for me, like, I know people that love his comedy, right? Not and, yet, I, and, I, and, and I watch and I watch him, and when you talk about character-driven personality, that's all I see with him. There's no bars. He's Bieber's favorite comic. And see, that's the kind of shit that you go to L.A. for, because really, that's what blew him up. Mm. Bieber started, you know, tagging him and sharing him on Instagram, and boom. Next thing you know, he had a bunch of, oops, uh, 16 and 17-year-old girls following him. Well, I think that um, there's a lot of bar- you think the bars are different by different classes, right? I think like the old heads in LA might be more characters, but the younger ones coming up, like when Jamar Jack, this dude named Zach Fox, some all these guys that are writing for Sam J's show, and they came here. These boys were saying some bars. These boys are hitting, saying deep thought out stuff, everything else. Mm-hmm. But they, I don't know if they were necessarily at the comedy store. But you can tell they have they're like they write for TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like the, well, I mean, obviously you get some um, people that don't really <clears throat> old. But even when I was out there uh, a few weeks ago for ABFF, I went mm-hmm. to the Laugh Factory, and I was saying the big difference in the vibes is the doorman of like, oh, oh shit, there's a doorman of like you got to really have some people skills to even go inside the club. Where okay. in New York, you could just kind of walk in and hang. Mm. Even on that level of like, I hadn't been to L.A. in over 15 years or so. Well, I should say 15. I'm not that damn old. Anyway, like 11 years. Uh But the scene is in the comics there because the clubs haven't changed. Meaning Laugh Factory, Comedy Store, Improv. And they're all right there together. That was the scene or where I went last time I was in L.A. And obviously, mm-hmm. I know, you know, the scene is in the comics of like, it's the meltdown, it's the whatever else, the roast battles and whatever else is going on. That's really the scene is the backyard shows and shit. Really, they were more creative than us pre-pandemic. Right. You're right about that. But we have more uh, comedy got- clubs, meaning, you know, LOLs popped up, uh, New York's, you know, rebranded and has two clubs now. Uh, the Grizzly Pair, the Village Lantern is popping up. Like, in the th- over 10 years that I hadn't been to L.A., I couldn't believe they hadn't created anything new as far as solid and concrete. Mm. You know, but They're like, so spaced out apart, you know, with us. Everything's condensed. Right, condensed, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like that, you. I would say almost more clubs closed in New York and reopened than has you know opened in twenty years, in ten years in New York than in twenty years in L.A. And I mean, stylistically, like I said, I snuck up inside the Laugh Factory and there was a girl on stage. I'm going to ruin her name, but she just had a pilot, mm. and I want to say the pilot was on for like five days or whatever. So, and she was very character driven. I want to say. Christella Alonzo or something of that nature. Kind of a uh, Hispanic girl. So again, that's the goal out there, you know, is to who are you when you go on stage? And 
with us. It's like, nah, we trying to get these bars off and we trying to uh, get booked in the club. Mm-hmm. And, and they always said when I was coming up, of like, you go to New York to get good and you go to L.A. to get famous. Mm. Okay. And I mean, there, obviously there's people that done it backwards or whatever, but hey, I, I guess I'll ask y'all, have y'all ever gotten in trouble for doing a joke? Or anybody mad? I did when I was young. When I was in Tampa, I was young. Uh, just now having more having more education and knowledge about what is necessarily offensive, you know? Yeah. You know, I think that as you get older, you start realizing, as as Cat Williams says, the speed limit does change, and now you get to see. Because, you know, growing up in the 90s and early 90s and stuff, the stuff that we were saying was completely wild, you know? Yeah, but we didn't even think of it in that way. It was right now, here and now, to be like, let me chill a little bit, you know? What an issue now is everything's documented, you know, whether it's tweets, podcasts, right. whatever. Um, And the issue I had, like I said, what Cat Williams was saying was, it's like how I was referring to the Caitlyn Jenner joke earlier. I did that shit at an open mic. Mm. Like it wasn't on a special, it wasn't on a comedy album. <laughs> it, was, it was like, oh, Caitlyn Jenner is happening. Let me do a little joke. I got written up by a comedian that also doubles as a traffic cop. A traffic. <laughs> that's a traffic cop. And I mean, literally, in these threads or whatever of our Facebook war that you can maybe go back and look through, I would keep saying to him, like, when did you become the PC police? And I just started leaving cop emojis. Or like, A cop emoji. I don't even know what to do. But I'm saying that to say of, like, you know, that was why I was a little annoyed with Cat Williams. Like, well, are you on the ground? Because obviously, being that you're a touring comedian making millions of dollars, nobody's ever going to argue with the fact that, you know, of what you're saying. But if you were on the ground to come up, hell yeah, people be writing you a speeding ticket. And I really don't have a right. problem with a speeding ticket from a paying customer. But right. another right. comic should be ripping off his uniform, you know, mid-game, I felt like. It's like if and, LeBron called travel on somebody. But most of the times, it's comics going after comics, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, most of like all that, that cancellation stuff is the comics police and everything else. The comics digging and finding different stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was Someone gets anything, too. the comics are like, oh, yeah, this person did this, or this person did this. It's comics turning each other in. That's, and that yeah, was that, what happened to Shane Gillis. That little fuck Seth Simons, uh, you know, he's got to be blocked or whatever on Twitter, because I always laugh when they make fun of him. You know, tries to double as some sort of journalist, but he, um, he had that podcast saved. And then a bunch of comedians that came up with Shane in Philly started going back in time. Oh, one time at 2011, you know, he had said this kind of joke at a mic, and I just was really uncomfortable. And it was just like, what is this, a damn snitch-a-thon? Oh, what's what happened with the Tony Hinchcliffe thing or anything like that? Like, everyone's looking for an opportunity. Not saying what he said was right, but everyone's looking for an opportunity to be all like, no, we're not comics anymore. We got to do this. We got to do that, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's just corny to me. Like, if you, the only person that's brave maybe is the first person that says it. And then after that, it's just like, well, what's the point of, like, basically kicking somebody that's already going down? Right, and I get what it, he said was effed up. I get that, what he said was effed up. 
But my thing is, like, if you open up for him, that's a conversation you could have stepped to him as a man and be like, yo, I don't appreciate that. Right. And the dude definitely tried to do, like, a, yeah, it's like, you know, what happens in comedy stays in comedy or what happens, I guess, off stage. Even though this guy said something on stage. Yeah. And, I mean, Tony Hinchcliffe fucked up because, to me, it's one thing to say a bunch of stuff, slurs or whatever, non-directed at nobody. Mm-hmm. But then when you're pointing at somebody basically and saying you know slur this and slur that it's like hey bro but see I'm what I think if I was that kid I would have came back on stage and been like what the fuck's up with that yeah but I don't think that that's what but when I watched it when I watched I watched the whole video right and when I seen what I took from what Tony was doing was he was calling out the, the, the direct racism of the room because of where they are. They're in Austin, Texas. Like you said, they go out there, they're quite lit, but the, the majority of the audience is more than more, more likely white guys. You know what I'm saying? And stuff like that. And they were just going along with what the kid was saying when he was up there. And he was hmm. saying a bunch of stuff. So then when Tony goes up, he goes, oh, you said you race traders. You know what I'm saying? Talking about them. Like, oh, you're, you're eating this up. You're doing this. When this chink goes on stage, I think he's saying that to to put it in their face like they're being a bunch of hypocrites. They Got know their races. So one of them feel uh, this way. Again, inside a game inception kind of things. Yeah, I think uh, that's how I took it. But you had to be in the room. Yeah, but when I watched it, when I saw the clip of Tony by himself, I'm like, oh, that was a yeah. He's a racist. And they say that he said a bunch of racist shit. But when I saw the first act and then him. You know what I'm saying? Because they did a shot. They do like a shotgun show where everybody brings each other up. Right. When the kid goes up, then he goes off, and then and I'm listening to how the crowd's reacting to the, to the Asian kid, and then Tony goes up. I get and, and I'm thinking about where they are. I'm like, oh, I get why he did that. I okay. Get yeah, why yeah. I'll, I'll say this. Tony knew the word was effed up. He shouldn't have said that yeah. because that's what Shane got canceled for. But my right. thing was. I understand what Tony, whatever he was trying to do, word was not appropriate at all. Definitely right. should have said that. Right. But Buddy recorded Shane without his permission. That was the problem. Right. Well, not that only was that. His, that was his tape that he did. So, like, if I'm, I wouldn't record another comedian. But you know what I mean? Like, if someone mm-hmm. recorded me, like, you stop your tape when I get on. You know, when you get off stage, stop your tape. Right. Yeah, it gets tricky because, you know, out of context, it's like, you know, these clips of roast battles that if you just throw up a clip of the roast battle, somebody goes, you know, well, you know, you got, you know, Pride Month and the rainbow flag written. But here's a clip of you calling somebody the wrong F word or, the, you know, the gay slur. And then you go, oh, well, that was a roast battle. And it's like, well, to the general public, they have no context of what a roast battle is. Now you are right. crazy. Oh, yeah. So take all my roof battles down. Take all of them down. So I think there is a bit of like, there is a bit to that Tony Hinchcliffe clip of that was a roast battle-esque kind of thing he was going for, and it kind of blew up in his face because the fucking comic he was trying to do it with took a clip of him 
and put it up, knowing stop that Asian hate was going full force. And it was going to blow up his, yeah. yeah it was an opportunist type that, thing. That was yeah. kind of dirty. That which was I'm some pretty, ripping which, off the uniform sure and being a cop shit. If, if, you go back, if you go back in that same comics, uh, in his same history, he's probably said some crazy shit about black people. He said some crazy yeah. shit about somebody. And it's I've just, said some crazy it, shit. That's why yeah. I'm like... But my, but my thing is, this is why I would like people to have the perspective. And this is where I kind of help with myself and my development as a as a performer is that in 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 the space of, of theater which is what we do is performance theater you have faces and you got heels you have the good people and you have the villains right sometimes you have to leave a space for people to be the villains or the anti-heroes definitely you have to have those people because if everyone like you said like like you just said about snl earlier if you got, are you doing diversity of representation, but no diversity of thought, then if you want everybody to be the same way in stand-up comedy, it's fucking, it's, it's backwards. Right. You're going to have people who have racist thoughts. You're going to have people who have these certain viewpoints and perspectives on life, but that's what makes life the life we live. Right. That's so you what can't makes silence it fun. those people. Right. And, it, and those people are more common than people like to admit. And like you said, some heels, where it's like, yeah, there's some guys that they want to slap the popcorn out of the kid's hand as they walk into the arena. That's part of the show. That's part of the show. You don't, you know, now go, oh, we canceling Wrestler X because he slapped the popcorn out of the kid's hand. Like, look, they're going to bring that kid another round of popcorn for free, and the show goes on. This looks great on camera. Right. Right. So, yeah, a little bit of what happened there was, like I said, dude, really peeled back the curtain and like I was saying you know my issue with what Pat is saying is like I said I don't have an issue getting a ticket from a traffic cop meaning somebody that you know has nothing to do with comedy but when another comedian points the finger it's like you know what I was doing I was putting on for the crowd to like relax right but like I said he threw him under the bus right in the middle of the whole stop the Asian hate wave and Boom. You know what I mean? Now everybody's up his ass. Now he's a white male, so nothing really is going to happen to him. Cause yeah, he, he'll be fine. Even they dropped his agent and management, but I go, that motherfucker does the Joe Rogan podcast every month. That's bigger than having an agent at this point. Yeah, his money ain't going to stop. I was watching uh, a little bit of this ABFF seminar, uh, and Miss Pat was on there, uh, the comedian Miss Pat. Yeah, I love Miss Pat. She was saying, you know, they said, well, what was your big career changing moment? She's like, oh, I did Joe Rogan podcast. And it's like, see? (laughs) (laughs) I saw him get rid of his manager and agent, and I saw some black dummies clapping. Oh, this is good. Stop the hate. And it's like, stupid. He doesn't need them at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. This industry is, you know, so a lot of the shit we get are from friends, you know, hookups, Mm -hmm. basically. But yeah, there's no room for the heel, and like, and like I was saying, this this thing that a lot of comedians are doing, where they're doubling as traffic as traffic cops. I feel like we should have some sort of oath, and then not only that, but I feel like, like I said, the speed limit changes. You know, they went back on Kevin Hart, you know, for some old tweets, and it's like, well, that was the speed limit back then, right? Now the speed limit is this, and you still mm-hmm. and he had apologized for it. And I'm laughing because I'm going, Mark Wahlberg has two right. crimes. Come on, dog. He went Actual to... crime. Yeah, real crimes. 
on his record, you mm-hmm. know, and you worried about Kevin Hart, but Mark Wahlberg is in all these movies, but he doesn't have tweets. And it's like, this shit is almost worse than having a criminal background or criminal record. This was documented. He went to jail for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he yep. did some time for it. So I, I was saying to myself, yeah, he killed like, somebody, right? Yeah. You, you know how the NBA, you know how the NBA has fines for text? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what we need to come up with. But then there's a whole thing of like there is no union really. You only work for your fans. But we need to come up with some sort of like just a penalty box, basically. Mm. Of like, yo, old tweets. We got Ibrahim for old tweets. Uh, you got to pay a uh, five drink ticket fine plus $200 or some shit. And then apologize. Because <laughs> mm. at a point, it's like, like I said, how much money did Shane Gillis lose to where it's like, man, SNL be writing some big checks, bro. And, and I mean, <laughs> I, know, I know what Ibrahim said is relevant. Or like, yeah, well, he, he made out nicely per that or whatever. But yeah, he can tour. He can tour and make his own money and, and own his own thing. Plus, now he has a sketch show that he's pretty much putting up the proof of concept of every other week on on uh on Instagram and you're showing that uh SNL lost out on a on a major talent. On that some diversity of opinion. Right. Is what they lost out on. And yeah, we, we, we definitely need to go forward, you know, like you'll see these political summits and you go, It's all Democrats here. What do y'all think's being accomplished? There are some black Republicans. Bring some of them in the room and y'all talk this shit out. And not Candace Owens, because she's just wilding that you know, even right now as we speak, she's saying some shit about, about Juneteenth that it's just like, lady, you know, I don't know why people let her make them upset. It's like she's not even a politician. Right. Like she just disagrees for the sake of disagreeing that it's like, oh, God, you know, she's a fucking distraction. But I, I wanted to ask you, Jared, we started and, uh, you know, we're approaching the hour now of like. You know, I asked, have you ever felt like you've been canceled for a joke or like people got upset? You said there was a joke that you did. Uh, can you give us some of that joke or what was that joke about? Was when it wasn't, it was about, I think the, it was about, it was about Caitlyn Jenner but when I was in Tampa, but it was about Cher's daughter that trans, that trans, that went into become a, when she became a trans man. Transitioned. Transition about how nobody cares when it's a woman going to a man, <laughs> or when a man goes to a woman. That's when everyone has a problem. And it was like more like the sports aspect. And then this dude, I mean, this this, this dude gets upset. He's he's like walking downtown, and we get an argument outside. And he goes, he was transitioning to a woman, and he was just saying like, you don't know, you don't know about everything else. And we debated it, right? And then he got, he contacted my job at the time. And then my job was like, what are you talking? We didn't even know you did stand-up. Lies. But, um. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, he contacted his job. He was like going off. And I was just like, dude, I said, you got to be open to dialogue. Like, if you wanted to talk to me about it, I didn't know until one of my boys transitioned to being a woman. He told me, like, okay, think about it this way. And I was like, I never had that experience until it hit me personally until I realized, like, okay, now I'm more educated into what's going on. And I think that's a a debate that we're just, I'm old, right? I'm in my 30s. Right. So, uh, 
it's going to be like my kids going to have to deal with it because sometimes there's a there's a transgender people that de- you can't get the surgery until you're like 16 or 17. You know? Yeah. So it, when I met it this gets dude, tricky because it gets, then people start to have these conversations where they basically only want someone who's qualified to be able to have anything to say. And then it starts hitting into these areas of like, well, people are allowed to disagree with you, but also you'll allow people who are qualified, quote unquote, to agree with you, but you won't allow anyone who's not qualified. Well, I should say someone you deem as unqualified to agree with you, but you won't allow someone you feel like is unqualified to disagree with you. Which, which to me defeats the whole purpose of comedy because part of the humor is the ignorance of it. Yes. The and it doesn't have to be right know. for it to like, be funny. Like, for instance, like, for like, all right, you would have guys like yourself, or let's say, let's say, for example, Eagle, Eagle Wit, right? Eagle is a young man who's single, who's doing his thing, right? But he has an opinion. Let, let's say he does a joke about marriage. What gotcha. he thinks marriage is. Right. Me being a married man who's been married for well over a decade. Jared just got married. Congratulations. And that and then me and me and Jared going, Evil, you can't do that joke because you don't know shit about marriage. You're not right. educated on it. It's like, no, the humor in what he's saying is the fact that he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that leaves room, and like Jared said, that leaves room for growth. So that if he ever revisited that subject again later on in his life as a stand-up comedian, and after being married for however many years, or now that he has children, you see his growth as a person and as an artist and as a comedian. Whereas he had this opinion about what it was earlier, and people who are fans of his that 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 follow him his entire career go. I remember he had this really funny joke back in the day about marriage or what it was to be a father, well, how he think he would be and where he is right now. You get to see, you get to be able to tie those in. It's the same thing with uh, Jay-Z. Look at hip-hop with Jay-Z. Jay-Z back in early in the, in the 90s, in That's the early 2000s, stuff. he said a lot of wild shit, but I'm talking about his perception on relationships on marriage, and women you know, and marriage mm-hmm. and everything was I'm different. I'm a pit by blood, but, and then you get right. Right. What happened to his mother or his mom coming out the closet and right. stuff like that? I'm pretty sure he's completely different. Right. Yeah, but- he dropped some bars about that. And then, like I said, you know, the last album he made was with his wife, the Carters. It- Exactly. Like, oh wow! What happened to Pimp My Blood? Right. He's I'll a family on, man. Now. I replace him and all that. Right. Shit, so. so you see the growth. You see his growth over the span of all his albums. You go, damn, Jay Z was this back in the day, but now look where he's at now. It was the same thing. I saw the same growth with artists like Common and so on and so forth. Like when yeah, you watch their first album, older, so you feel like it robs us of any form of growth and redemption and, and redemption. redemption and all yes. that kind of shit. And then, like I said, I I hate that stuff because. You know, you don't you don't want to piss anybody off. You don't set out to piss anybody off. But as Chappelle said on his special of like, look, man, it was easier for, you know, Caitlyn Jenner than it was for Muhammad Ali to just change his fucking name. And, mm-hmm. and you guys gave him hell for that. And he said, you know, I, I feel like part of the whole thing is just white men want to do it. Well, I think that like what Ibrahim said and what you're saying, like the growth is there. It's like the joke I used to do that caused them. Now, since I'm an older person, I've been around more experience and living in New York, I know how to tell the joke now to not offend people. Right. Now, I've been more educated. I've been more like talking to more of my friends. Be like, oh, this, okay, you should tell it this way. The punchline should be here because 
you're not isolating a group of people and you're not making them upset. You're just sparking curiosity. And I was like, right, I had to, but you I had also to learn have that. to get the joke wrong to be able to get it right. Right. And it was right at the time, but it was because of the area that I was in. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, in Tampa. And also, you hit the nail on the head, meaning the dude was there. The trans person was there. So they're like, ah. Oh. And I mean, I wish there was a room where, you know, we could go up and maybe test these jokes in front of them at a point that it's like, you know. So what I, I did uh, was, so what I did was, I there used to be a gay club, a gay bar in Tampa, and I would go tell my jokes there. Right. And, and I would run laugh. it there, and then they would start laughing. I was like, okay, now I'm, okay. If I can do it here, then I should do it anyway. Right. right. One night I was at a... Uh, I was one night I was at a club and um, a gay baseball team was there. It was like six or seven of them, and they had on their shirts and still had on their uniforms. And I was like, "All right, I got this joke in my set about uh, Jack Phillips, the whole cake maker. He wouldn't make the wedding cake for them." And I said, "All right, well, either we gonna punk out or we gonna go ahead and try this joke out." And I mean, mm. they laughed. So it's like, yeah, at a point. You know, you got to do that joke in front of somebody. Yeah. And there is always the off chance that you hit the one person that has the diverse opinion for that group and just can take it. And then there's so many people that's just so sensitive. And like I said, we began rewarding people basically for blowing whistles in comedy that it's just like, come on, bro. Like, life's not that serious to me. I, I did a Puerto Rican joke uptown. I did a joke about how there's no Puerto Ricans on Street Fighter. And I was like, nobody likes to fight in the street like Puerto Ricans. Uh And I forgot what the punchline, the major punchline of that joke used to be. But as soon as I did it, this Puerto Rican dude got mad and was like, yo, when we fucking get off stage or whatever, let's go outside. And I was like, so you can prove in my point that Puerto Ricans like to fight in the street. And the mm-hmm. crowd was dying laughing, but that motherfucker just got madder and madder <laughs> as I was doing the joke or whatever. And luckily for me, I went outside and his ass was not outside. Uh, but I mm-hmm. wanted to ask y'all if y'all ever, have you ever been confronted while you were on stage? No, I haven't been confronted on stage. I, well, I, this happened recently. I think I told the story about Stefan being confronted on stage. He, oh, did, did I tell y'all that story yet? Nah, what happened? <laughs> so, so Stefan he did a guest spot at the Greenwich Village, and he's making he's riffing, and this girl stands up, and he goes, "Okay, I see you, big booty," and her dude goes, "Uh, uh, 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 nope," or something like that, and Stefan goes, "I'm just joking, bro. You gotta calm down." Da da da, and he goes, "When she comes back and she's cool, that's when I see if we if we cool or not." <laughs> and, and Stefan gets out of it, but I tell Stefan, I said, dude, if he was going to swing on you, I was about to pepper spray this whole crowd. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> I, I was going to face this whole crowd because I said, this dude was huge. But yeah. sometimes it's just like, because he was sitting with a whole bunch of girls, so he didn't know who he was with. So yeah. so I, I, I get how that could have been. I get how, I get the audience member point of view. Yo, that's my girl. You know, my girl stood yeah, up. Yeah, that's why. I mean, and I mean, you know? you know, obviously, we'll probably have Stefan on at some point, but that's one of them where it's like, 
commenting on a woman's body or really comment, yeah, especially like you know, you open yourself up for it, you know, or some shit, right? But that's like how Ibrahim was talking about heels, where there is even the comic that'll go up and go, ah, you ain't cute or whatever, you know, or you know, the comic that does the uh. You know, one out of every five women is ugly, and then they do the thing where they count off and they point yeah, it's not in you, a direction. It's you. not specific, but if there's a dude there with her, they might want to get up and have to defend that woman's honor. Like, bro, I'm not going to be able to get none, and I'm going to have to sleep on the couch because you want to fucking be funny. Well, yeah, I think that I think every comic you, you get towards and stuff like that, you know? And I think yeah. with edu- with with knowledge and education, now you know exactly. If you know what's offensive and you're trying to do it, you need to be prepared for what you're saying. You know, there's a price to say everything. Right. right. If you're trying to be, you got to find out who you are as a come. Most of the people saying this stuff are trying to be heels, but they're not really heels. Yeah, right. there's a little bit of like you know they'll say it and then back down. But I well, they say all oh, like when comics say the n word, right? You said yeah, because he obviously like, yeah, you knew that you, Ibrahim, and everybody was outside, and that's why he said it. He didn't say it, you know what I mean? And then when you press him about it, it's like, oh, well, well I was trying to be funny. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're going to be it's, funny outside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I, like like you were saying earlier about um, have you ever had a joke or you ever said anything? I have the toxic masculinity bit that I have that I, uh, well, I say the F word. You know what I'm saying? And I remember there was a situation. I was at Soho Playhouse, and I seen this group of men come in with this with this young lady. And it wasn't nothing apparent that they were homosexual. It was just that they came in together, and it was just like a group of guys just hanging out. Next thing I know, it was a black dude who was in the group, gets up, walks to the other side of the room, kisses another white guy in the mouth. Right there. So this joke was still early in its inception, but I was like, I had been doing it, and it had been doing well. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I guess I can't say that joke. But then I said to myself, I said, no, I have to say that joke now. Right. If I can't say this joke in front of them and I know they're in the audience, I shouldn't say it at all anywhere. So I go on stage, I do the joke, I drop the F-bomb, but then, you know, I have the other tie-in on the back end. And then they go back, uh, and then I finish out the set. When I get off stage, you know, the joke gets a big-ass laugh. When I get off stage... They come up to me and they go, that joke you did about toxic, that was fucking hilarious. And I went, all right, this joke is this joke got, you know, the cosign from the community, from that community. Right. They understood that it didn't come from a place of malice. It came nah, from it's a place just of an observation at a point. It's an observation. It come from a place of perspective. And then I had a few other gay couples come and tell me that that was one of their, that was their favorite joke. Because it's like, I'm doing it. It's like you can construct a joke with a point to to bring out an emotion or toy with an emotion mm-hmm. but you have to have enough savvy to be able to like you said put a bow on that thing yeah and be people, able to wrap that up so people can, can kind of tell coming from a place of uh you didn't really think that through or just you haven't been having a good enough set to say that because <laughs> there's that too Almost like in Street Fighter, how you know you'll beat up somebody to the point that they get those stars going, and then you can, uh, and they're dizzy, and then mm-hmm. you can hit the finishing move. Like, all right, time to hit this joke now, where it's like, uh, that's not an opening joke, you don't open on that one, mm-hmm. yeah. Or I don't know, it all depends on the person and who they are as a, as a comedian. Like, if 
like you have comics, and of course you're gonna say, you know, he's the, he's a sub, but you have comedians who open with stuff to set the tone. You know, nah, what I'm yeah, set yeah, the yeah, tone I know. So that people can understand, like, oh, this is the type of guy, this is the type of comedian he is, or this is what we're in store for. So, right. but I always do that. Like we were saying earlier, I look at it like wrestling to where we used to call them high risk maneuvers, where it's like you're going on the top ropes. The whole crowd sees you climbing up there. You set it up. You, you've said trends and, and now they're watching you climb the cage. Mm-hmm. You get to the top and sometimes you jump and the audience rolls right the fuck out the way and you land on your fucking face. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what we've been debating about this whole time is, you know, what happens in the ring stays in the ring. They're like, you saw the tape, the audience rolled out the way, you landed in your face, you're bleeding now. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, there's no penalty box you have to go to the next match or, you know, you ain't got to, that's not your last match because you went up the cage and jumped and missed. But nowadays, like I said, people are bringing it outside and now it's on CNN and it's just like, and then you got old wrestlers going, oh, well, that's why. And it's like, shut the fuck up. They didn't even have cage matches when you were doing what you were doing but uh mm-hmm. we've reached uh an hour here i'm gonna go ahead and ask one last question to jared jared you got any good fight stories for us i i, I like to do this because comedians are very anti-confrontation so i think it's very funny as you were saying earlier about like when you were a younger man the mistakes you made and being confronted about those mistakes oh, man there's a several fights i remember Give us a good win and a good loss real quick if you can. One of the fights I can't tell because it was uh, <laughs> uh, legal uh, ramifications. In this decade, but um, there's one fight that happened in the Netherlands when we were all in the Netherlands. I lived in Tokyo and I lived in the Netherlands before I moved back to America. You were so, in the military, right? My dad was in the military. He was in the Air Force. So he so moved you like me. me. I was a military brat too. Me and, yeah, so me and both. So my, he would move us around. So me and my brother, our adolescents were all in Europe and stuff like that. Now, this is the time where we are in Afghanistan and people do not like Americans anymore. Ah. Mm. You know? So I'm in a phone party. I'm in a phone party. Hilarious. Know, doing Ameri- American <laughs> stuff, you know. What the hell's off. a phone party? A fo- so it's a, imagine, so imagine a, a club filled with foam, like foam from, your, from the dishwasher. Phone, oh, wow. phone oh, from like oh, 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 bubbles got you, phone. Got you, got you, got you. <laughs> so so crews were playing football and stuff like that. And I'm standing on top of like a table, it's playing called the pepper mill. And this dude, this Dutch dude comes and sweeps my leg off and I fall down. Right? <clears throat> yeah. And then it turned into an all out war. I Juventus Guerrero jumped out into the phone. And we just start scrapping. Boom, 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 boom. In boom, the boom, middle boom. of foam. Middle of foam. Everybody's slipping around. People falling. Oh. So y'all both got your shirts off? I, I, I use my shirt like a helicopter so I could look through the foam and see where he went. This <laughs> foam there is like, it's like 10 like that feet. Legs sweep you? Because I knew what it was. Like when I say Americans are just full of themselves, themselves right? I think it was like him saying, I think for a guy, he's not friends, not to talk to his girlfriend. And she's like happy because she's met Americans before. And we're just all just talking smack. And next you know it, he sweeped my legs. And I'm sitting, I'm like six feet standing on top of like a bar table. He swoops yeah. my legs. I fall down, land on my elbow. I jump back on the bar. 
take off my shirt, start spinning it like a helicopter so the foam will go out the way. I saw him, Juventud Guerrero, boom. So you're spinning the shirt around your head like Petey Pablo? Petey Pablo. I was doing that to move the foam out the way. Next thing you know it, damn, we start going at it. But it's in a foam, so we slipping everywhere. So we slipping everywhere. They <laughs> have to fight the foam party. So everybody's fight. I'd expect anybody to try to fight. So I had them in like a full Nelson, and uh, and it's hard to breathe in foam because you're breathing in the foam. So I'm panicking at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> this like, is the cleanest <laughs> ass whooping ever. Right. <laughs> I'm hitting them inside there, and then the last fight we got into was uh, we got in a fight with some bouncers. We got in some fight with some bouncers. Uh, my friend, his name is Sasha. He uh he took a picture of something, and they thought he was taking pictures of something that he wasn't supposed to take pictures of. So they took his camera and stole his memory card out. Damn. And he was like, "I want my camera back." They gave him the camera, but didn't take the memory card back. And we're like, "Well, let's go." So they try to kick us out, and there's like six bouncers standing all together, and we're like, "Yo, we just want our we just want our camera back, our phone back." And next, you know, this dude tried to karate kick me. Right into my face, and I caught it and flipped him over a rail, and then we all just start tussling again. Damn, wow. <laughs> I think I've been in maybe like <laughs> was this in the Netherlands too? Netherlands, Netherlands. I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember I saw one of my boys get beat with some bamboo sticks in Tokyo. He did something, and this Japanese dude turned around. He just hear them whap 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 whap. Ugh, with the Damn. bamboo stick, yeah, he hit him with some. He just hit him with some bamboo stick. Was he security or he just was a random was motherfucker a that had bamboo sticks on him? It said something to him like they, so. So in, in Tokyo, it's more like you were either on base or off base, so right? The full. So what happened was when I was there, like all the seniors would go off base and they were robbing, like they were, they were taking rims from places, and everybody was just robbing the Japanese people. And one time, Buddy went to the store and tried to take something. They clicked, they hit that little gate button. He couldn't get out. Hilarious. Took, took out them kendo sticks and said, like, Damn. Damn. They beat him and let him go. Was he, he like bloody and shit? No, nah, he had like, he was, I don't think he couldn't walk for a couple of days. Like, bruises. <clears> them <throat> kendo sticks them don't. Kendos, yeah. Yeah, it's like it swells your skin and stuff like that. Ooh. Well, yeah. Bamboo sticks. Yo, bamboo sticks, phone parties. I was always nervous as a military kid. I don't know if you remember that story back in the 90s. That white boy. Old boy stole it and they publicly caned his ass. Yeah, that was, uh, he was supposed to get 100 last year. That was out. Wait, uh, what happened? What? Say that again. In the 90s, that guy that he stole something overseas and his father was military too, I think. I I thought he was graffiti. Graffiti, boom. There you go. Yes, graffiti. And they were debating about whether or not they were going to let an American citizen be caned. And I think it was yep. public. Yep. A public, public caning. caning. Yep. And, you he, know, America fought hard, like, politically to not have it happen because, you know, you can't really say you're the most powerful nation when one of your citizens just got his ass whooped on national TV. And they put the boy on prime time like he was, was uh, a Logan Paul fight and they caned his ass. What, wasn't that like Indonesia or something? I can't remember. Indonesia, I think it was Malaysia. Taiwan. I want to say it was oh, Taiwan. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. No, no. I thought it. Was, <clears throat> I thought it was Malaysia, Indonesia. I thought it was one of them. I thought it was a Muslim. I thought it was a Muslim. It had to be. It had to be Indonesia then. But because they, he was supposed to get a hundred lashes, and he and they got him all the way down to ten. They, they right. negotiated because at first America wanted let him go. They said we're not letting him go. <laughs> they said well don't well well don't cane him. They said no he's getting caned. 
and he was supposed to get a hundred, and then they got it all the way down. I think to ten. I think he passed out after ten. He passed out. Yeah, they, they, yeah, it was a videotape of it. Yeah, they, they. You, you know why I'm TV. laughing? I'm laughing because, as I said earlier about the whole Tony Hinchcliffe situation of like, I'm in favor of on the spot correction. Meaning you did that shit right there. Let's settle it right there. Like I said, like, and then like I'm saying earlier about the whole cancel culture thing of like, the parameters should be defined. You said a slur on stage. Uh, Ten lashes. That you were sorry. A, you got to pay a fine. And B, you got to do some sort of charity show. So I love that overseas, you know, there is no let's wait two years for a trial. It's mm-hmm. not that whole thing. Like Overseas is instant correction. Instantaneous and, correction. But they do, but it's by age, though. Because I remember, like, in different countries, but they said after 16 is when they could try you as an adult or 17. Whatever, how old you are, right? they will give you back to the American citizenship. So whatever trouble we got in in Tokyo, and they, but they gave us back. But if you're 18, they don't what everything else you fall through the you fall through the the country's policies, right? See, because I used like, to get in trouble a lot as a military kid on base, and I remember my parents telling me then, like, "Yo, you gonna be like old boy if we ever go overseas." Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Thank God, my dad never got no orders to go overseas." Because yeah, ain't no telling. I might know all about them bamboo sticks. And I tell mm-hmm. people all the time, like, if international soccer game, it don't matter who you know. You're gonna end up fighting. It don't. It's you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That you know they make our race riots and stuff look like parades. And I was like, why is this dude pushing me right now? I was like, because you got this soccer jersey on. He's upset. I'm like, yeah, man, this just... right. Some somebody. Well, remember some dude just, just like kicked me in my ankle one time. Yeah, random. It's like gang colors over there. Uh. So we got we gotta go back to the phone party a little bit here. So you you put this dude in the full Nelson. How did the phone fight end? Did y'all oh, we get went, like towels and dry off, or y'all just both? No, no. we got kicked out. I got kicked out. I mean, it's just like they just start kicking us out. I was mad. I lost my phone in that phone party. I lost everything. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> have you been to a phone party since? I have. I think I yeah. I went. I think the last one I went to when I was like. The last time I ever went clubbing, clubbing was like when I was like 22. And that, oh, that was another fight that I happened to be a part. Oh, freak, that was. I got, I was banned, I'm banned from a club in Daytona Beach for the last fight that we all were in. <laughs> yeah, my picture in Daytona Beach. I think it's no Panama City. I'm banned from this club. There was another phone party and they're about to start the phone. And what happened was I convinced my friend at the time, which his nickname was Turbo as well to suplex this girl into the pool oh because my he he is kind of slow. But I told him, I was like, we, we got kicked out of like four clubs back to back. One of them we got kicked out because I had counterfeit money because I first started teaching when I was 23. And I had all this money from like teaching my students and stuff like that. And I just happened to go and I forgot to leave the money at school because it was brand new. So my boy opened my bag. I was like, man, it's like 10 Gs in here. I was like, it's fake. He goes, don't worry. So he wrapped up the real money around that money. And just had like a couple stacks on them. Hey, wait. Technically, can you talk about this? <laughs> I can talk about this. <laughs> you had let, counterfeit money. Well, it's just like you know, I first started teaching. You get you get money to teach the kids how to count money. You know, like dollars. oh, okay, it's like that. So it was like green. It's like it's not 
it doesn't look green green, but it's like a darker green. So like when I had it in my bag, because it was my first year teaching, I was like, I'm gonna take off some days to go to spring break. And my, they're like, this ain't you're you're a man now. You can't be going to spring break partying. So I took a couple of days off to go. And all my boys came down there and they went through my bag and was like, yo, look at my bag. It's, Dude, you got like 10 G's in here. Hilarious. Uh, and I was like, this is fake money. This ain't real. It's for the kids. So my boy from St. Louis, he takes some real money and wraps it around rubber bands ah. and puts it around it. And he goes, we're not going to spend it, but we're just going to show it up so we can get past the lines. So wow. we go to a, we go to a club first and like they're dancing. The black lights came on. They realized the money is fake. All the bouncers threw us out. Right? <laughs> so I go back into the club and I was like, hey, you mind if I get this money? It's for my classroom. And he goes, just get out of my face, man. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why they didn't like call the police because there's just so many people for spring break. They didn't have enough time because it's like 10 o'clock in the evening and the night was just starting. So the last night, so the last time we go to another club and this dude, Turbo, uh, he was drunk and I told him, I was like, yo, your girlfriend is a dancer, one of those go-go dancers. And I told him, I was like, you should pick her up and slam her in this water. He goes, what? I was like, dude, that'd be funny, man. He goes, that's not my girlfriend. I, like, I just talked to her. She told me that's your girl. Cause I, he goes, no, that's not my girl. I was like, look at her. She turned around fast and waved at him because I asked her to wave at him. And uh, I was like, my friend just wants to wave at you. Can you just wave back? He's very shy. Hilarious. And when he waved back at her. He goes, that is my ex-girlfriend. I was like, I'm trying to tell you. I was just pick her up and slam her like he used to do back in the day. So he gets up and suplexes her in the water. And then all the bouncers jump into the water because they think the dance the dancers being attacked. Hilarious. So they, start, they start throwing hammer fists on my boy, everything oh my else. God. Damn. Then, yeah, them then, bouncers were waiting to beat up some people. But God. then all my boys jumped into the water to save them, right? They jump into the water and start fighting. And next you know it, I took all the rest of the counterfeit money and threw it up in the air into the water. <laughs> and all these, these, these Panama City spring break kids jump into the pool fighting for money. I love that you're out here in the streets just causing riots. He called it a riot. Yeah, I'm about to say. <laughs> I, I listen to you on stage, and I'm like, he's such a peaceful person. <laughs> and it's like, this man is roaming around with bags of counterfeit money that he says are teaching. <laughs> and, and every one of your fights involves water. This is such a Florida <laughs> nigga story. It's either a phone party or a soccer or a soccer yeah, I think it was the World Cup when the World Cup was like in 2008 or something like that. I, I, I remember it was just an all-out brawl. It was me fighting all these dudes from Germany. And I'm like, what the freak? I'm not even from here. And I'm yeah, just uh, fighting at a bar. Overseas is wild. I, I feel like the phone party is the place to fight because, you know, nobody's got a gun on them. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I didn't even think about it like that. Start I mean, fighting then, in any other club. There's a chance you might be yeah. on an RIP shirt. So... I never fought in American clubs. I know this boy. My my cousin told me one time. He goes, if they don't check you for a gun, that means there's a couple of guns inside there. So oh, always yeah, remember yeah. that. Definitely. So I think that when you're in the South or Midwest, I think that's the difference between New Yorkers. A lot of New Yorkers are very aggressive, right? Because there's not a lot of weapons open flashly. But down south, if you have an argument with a person, there's a chance somebody will definitely pull that lead out on you. Right. Yeah, because even when you were talking about the counterfeit money, I'm like, well, you know, the whole George Floyd thing popped off because allegedly mm. he had a fake 20 that I'm going, I, I never even knew they called the cops on you. And like, I, you know, I'm a cabbie here in New York. And one time I had some money and I had like a fake $5 bill at the corner store. And the dude just was like, 
oh man, what the hell is this? And he just looked at it and held it up to the light. And even I had to laugh a little, like, damn, I guess somebody got me. And then I just gave him another $5 bill and we moved on and kind of laughed about it. And so when I hear that story about George Floyd, I'm just like, why the hell did y'all call the cops? Like, right. Yeah, it's so dumb. Usually they ask for another bill or they just tell you to fucking leave. Kind of how they told your ass to leave, you know, for having all that counterfeit money. But uh, them stories is hilarious as fuck. We've been on here an hour 20 now. Uh, I'm going to let y'all boys go off and enjoy y'all Juneteenth Saturday. I'm going to set y'all free. Uh, <laughs> set y'all free. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, one thing about Juneteenth that I hate is that they still pronounce it like a fucking slave. It's like, what is Juneteenth? Them niggas couldn't read. Just say June 19th or whatever. <laughs> well, you know, but, black uh, people always abbreviate everything. Right. Go ahead and uh, drop y'all handles. And if y'all got shows coming up next week, drop those. All right. My handle is Mr. Waters, MR Waters, the black dude on the horse. You see a black Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, everything else. Who's that nigga on that nag? Django, we got your girl. <laughs> the Django. Uh, and if every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we do a free comedy show in Astoria Park. It's called Training Day Comedy on 19th and 24th Avenue. And if you're free on Thursday, Thursday, I have another show called Comedy Night Live that happens every Thursday at 7 at RPM Underground. And Sundays, every Sunday in Astoria at Belladonna Pizza Garden at 7 o'clock, we got a comedy show called Comedy Night Live. So that's me. Cool. Ibrahim, go ahead. Drop them handles, bro. Uh, Ibrahim Khalif. That's I-B-R-A-H-I-M-K-H-A-L-I-F. See the cartoon face that be me. Um, Ibrahim Khalif 83 on Twitter. Uh, also, stream the comedy album Placebo. It's on all streaming platforms. Um, I'm on the Red Rum tour, so by the time this comes out, uh, I'll be on my way to North Carolina. Um, I have two shows in North Carolina. One in Durham, one in Raleigh. Watch the first one in Washington Waters on the 30th at 8 o'clock. There's tickets in my link tree as well as on the 29th. We're at the new venue called The Living Room. We're there as well. Um, I'm at, but if you're in New York City, I'm at Clout Chasers on Tuesday in Astoria. A great show uh, being run by a friend of ours, uh, Grant Sheffield. So you can catch me there. And uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty much it off the top of my head. <laughs> I mean, are you sure you got nothing else? <laughs> hmm? <laughs> around a whole list down, didn't you? You get good at promo. Hey man, look, I gotta, I gotta do something. Hold up, <laughs> you gonna make hey, it? I'll, I'll be fucking with you, but uh, uh, you guys can find me per usual at I am Phil Hunt on all social media. Uh, I'm on vacation next week because my birthday's Tuesday, so hey. I'm down in Miami. I oh, might uh, have to hit Jared up and find me a phone party. Get some, <laughs> some of the counterfeit bucks he got while I go down there or whatever. But yeah, I'm definitely feeling like I need to experience a phone party at this point. But uh, that's been another episode of the motherfucking Tough Talk podcast. Hey, thanks for listening and thanks for doing the show, guys. All right, Remember? gentlemen, enjoy your Saturday. Cool. Peace. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. Juneteenth.